You are now tuning in to the Bodybuilding Lifestyle Podcast, the number one source for unfiltered truth in bodybuilding with your host, Elon Muscular. The Bodybuilding Lifestyle Podcast is sponsored by Elon Muscular Private Coaching. There's a huge issue with online coaching today. Cookie cutter plans, unattentive coaches, and an industry saturated with misinformation. If you're looking for a bodybuilding coach that will be on your ass about getting results, and make sure you tick all the boxes every day with daily check-ins, unlimited text access, and quarterly video consults and progress reports, then Elon Muscular Coaching is for you. All the guys on Team Muscular are my personal friends and I'm proud to build a relationship with every client in order to best hold them accountable to their goals. If this sounds interesting to you, reach out to me to book a free discovery call to see if coaching is right for you. Now let's get right into the episode. What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 15 of the Bodybuilding Lifestyle. I have Brandon DeCruz on here. Brandon actually reached out to me because he heard my podcast with Kate Zook. If you haven't heard that, check it out. Awesome podcast filled with hardcore bodybuilding info. And I wanted to get Brandon on here because this guy is literally always shredded. Like he came on the podcast right now and you, you could look at his arms right now if you're watching on YouTube. The guy is like walks around at like 7% body fat. And I, and I asked him as soon as he, you know, told me he liked the podcast, I was like, dude, do you want to be on the podcast? Cause I want to know how to be that lean and stay that lean all the time. So we're going to jump into that first. And then we're going to talk about Brandon's lifestyle. You know, he has a successful career as well. And he can talk to us a, a little bit about how he built himself up in the fitness industry as well. So welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Awesome. Elon. I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm excited for this conversation. Cool. So the first thing that I want to ask you is, like I said, I, I looked at your page and I saw that you were always lean. Are you somebody that has like a fast metabolism where you've always, you've been that guy that always had the six pack or is it something that you had to learn to do? No. So I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, this is something that comes as a big surprise to people. I did not have a fast metabolism uh, or I do not, you know, I've gotten my thyroid levels. I actually just got my blood work back uh, two days ago and I have low T3. So that's something I'm going to be addressing going forward. But um, the thing is that a lot of people, they have a misconception about what metabolism is. And they don't realize that generally it's not the leaner individuals that have a fat metabolism. It's actually the larger. So one of the major components that you know consists of 75% of your metabolism is actually your basal metabolic rate, which is based on your body weight. So a 300 pound overweight person is going to have a better metabolism, a higher metabolic rate, and an overall higher BMR than someone like myself. So really what it comes down to staying lean year round, people ask me this all the time. And I've done a, a podcast actually on being shredded year round. And I want to put a disclaimer out here for you guys. This has come out of a result of 13 to 14 years of dedicated training, uh, studying nutrition, understanding pharmacology, understanding fat loss physiology. This wasn't an overnight thing. So if we go back to my background, I wasn't a lean kid growing up. Um, and it wasn't something that came to me overnight. But by uh, developing daily disciplines, you know, I do morning fasted cardio every morning. I have a, a very structured routine. I eat on a, a very um, structured plan. 
I've been able to see what my baseline amount of calories are and pretty much stay at maintenance most of the year. And then when I do have a photo shoot or I was at one time uh, very into competing. So I've competed 14 times over the years. Uh, this was actually the first year just due to COVID that I didn't step on stage. But when I do, then I will go into a deficit, but it's all very structured. And I make sure it's not that I don't allow myself to enjoy myself, but if I do, it's going to be in a, in a manner where I'm you know, essentially planning for it. So I might have a lower calorie intake, you know, the day leading up to uh, an off plan or a free meal. I'm going to make sure that my calories are balanced throughout the week. So it's more about being, you know, I always tell people, I tell clients all the time, you cannot measure or you cannot manage what you don't measure. And I'm very into the measurable metrics of both from a health parameter. So your, your resting uh, heart rate, your blood pressure, your blood glucose, making sure your nutrient partitioning is on point. Uh, your insulin sensitivity, but also from a calorie tracking perspective. So I'm making sure that I know my, my daily intake of my macros, my proteins, carbs, and fats, and then I'm very into micronutrition. So I'm, my diet is, is primarily composed of nutrient-dense foods that hit all my micronutrient values. You know, I track everything through chronometer, and then that allows me to maintain not only a better body composition, but also have a diet that keeps me satiated and I don't fall into the pit of hunger and energy, you know, energy crashes. And that's the biggest thing. If we look at people, why they cannot stay lean, you know, we always hear these, these statistics, uh, especially in the US, that diets fail. They say 95% of diets fail. And that's actually untrue. Seven out of eight people that diet, that enter a diet will lose weight. What we have a problem with is weight and fat loss maintenance. And that's kind of what I've mastered. And I really try to get home with people is, or hit home with people is, it's all about maintenance, you know, not saying that you want to stay the same, but if you went achieving a goal and you went from 20% body fat to 10% body fat, and that's your goal, you need to continue implementing the habits that got you there. Doesn't mean you have to stay at a deficit, but what it does mean is if you know that calorie tracking helped you, that weighing yourself daily was one of the things that helped you stay alert and stay very um, dialed into the process. If you know that weight training five to six days a week was what got you to your goal, you can't just go back to the same habits you had previously and expect to you know, consistently keep those results. So I think the issue that we have, you know, and I have a lot and a lot of people that I coach and that I talk to have is that you know, bodybuilding inherently is kind of like a roller coaster. We learn this cycle of bulking and cutting. And like, as soon as we get to that lean state, we're already thinking about putting on muscle and then, you know, balloon back the other way. And what happens that I find is that most people over time, like you said, they just get so big and so muscular that their metabolism speeds up to the point where they can kind of stay lean and still you know what I mean? Like still have some flexibility in the diet, but that 100%. only happens at a very advanced level. Right. So it takes years, man. And, and I, I still, it, and I think it's a different point for everybody. Cause like now on this recent bulk, I'm like, I'm looking to break like the 240 pound mark. And I never got up that high before. And I, and I noticed that the, the higher that I drive up my weight, the leaner that I end up staying at at those same, like I'll, I'll be a leaner 225. I'm a leaner 230 than I was last bulk. I'll be, but then I'll be a fat 240 and then cut down to a very lean, you know, 210, which is more than last time, which was 205. Absolutely. And it always goes like that. But I, but I end up looking shitty, like, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the time, or like not shitty, shitty on bodybuilding standards. Like, but that's the thing is that's necessary. So I want to drive home that to people. I've done the massive bolts. I have periodized my weight up to, you know, 250, 260 before, and then come back down 
at this stage of my life, that's not really what interests me. I, I like staying lean year round. I'm a coach. Uh, I do, you know, I represent a, a nutrition company as a national sales director. And then also I do fitness modeling. So right now what's beneficial to me is to stay lean, but I also want to caution people. This isn't through like over restriction. Cause that's what I see. I know a lot of influencers within the hundreds and, and even millions of followers that I know that they have an unhealthy relationship with food. And that's something I suffered with too early on in my life. And I really had to study the psychology of dieting and how it works with your physiology to understand that it isn't healthy to do this binge restrict cycle, which is really what we see. We see a lot of bodybuilders, they do these massive cheat meals and these cheat days. And everyone wonders, how do you stay so lean? Well, what you don't see, and I've been on the road with these guys, I've worked for numerous supplement companies over the years that we've sponsored many of these guys, and they'll do a 10 or 20,000 calorie challenge on YouTube. But what they don't show you is they were eating 1,200 to 1,500 calories at a 230-pound body weight, which is a massive deficit the rest of the week or the week leading up to it. And it's only because of that, that reason and that massive deficit that they can do that and quote-unquote get away with it. And that's what people aren't seeing. So what I really try to promote is a lifestyle intervention. And this is a lean lifestyle. And how I do that, the main component to this all is something called high-energy flux. So my calories are high. So right now I'm, I'm staying lean, but I eat between 550 and 600 grams of carbs on training days. So it's not that I'm on low calories, but what I mean by high energy flux is my energy intake's high in terms of calories, but my energy output is high as well. So my daily steps, I do walks after every meal to increase nutrient partitioning, uh, to help with digestion. So I'm going on at least a 10 minute walk after every meal, you know, most meals out of the day, besides, you know, during my my really concentrated hours of work. I make sure to incorporate daily fasted cardio and I, I stay active. If I'm going to take a, a sales call, which I do, you know, I do 50 calls a day. So if I'm going to do that, you know, I'm not just going to sit in my desk, you know, in my office all day, I'm going to go on a walk around the office or I'm going to go on a walk outside because I could do all those same things and be active during the same time period. So generally what a lot of people don't realize is I'm getting an average of 17 to 20,000 steps per day. Now for some people that's, that's extremely high. So that's not what my suggestion is, but if you're someone that's extremely sedentary, you know, 3,000 to 5,000 steps per day, try to eat that up to seven to 8,000. That was actually, there was a recent study that just came out uh, in January that showed that 8,000 calorie or 8,000 steps per day was the minimum threshold for regulating blood glucose. That was, was what was shown as being like a healthy level of activity to help with blood sugar management. And then also with fat oxidation. So the burning of fat. So if you guys, you know, if you just slowly eat that up, you will see your ability to stay leaner. And that's why we have so many people that when they do do a bodybuilding show, they go from all these habits, you know, and I've been there, man, I've competed 14 times over the year. So like I've done those where I want to take advantage of the anabolic rebound. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden I go from an hour cardio a day and, you know, 1500 or 2000 calories as an average. And then I'm up to 4,000 calories. I completely take out all my cardio. And then I wonder why I got fat. <laughs> it's all about, you have to slowly titrate things, slowly titrate the calories up, slowly titrate the cardio down. You know, if your step count was at 25,000 at the end of your, um, your contest prep, you can't just go from 25 to five and expect you not to gain fat. So it's, it's all about moderating your, your activity and then also incorporating things that will allow you to stay lean without, you know, essentially having to starve yourself or having to go through these extreme metrics. I'm not one to say, Hey, do an hour of fasted cardio every day. I do 20 minutes. That's really feasible in my, in my lifestyle. That's really convenient for me. It allows me to get my brain, you know, moving and, and focus. And I am able to get a lot of emails done during that time period. So it's stuff that I can do long-term. And that's what I'm all about. Cause 
you know, you, you came to me about sustaining leanness year round, but if I did it through methods that were unsustainable, I'd be miserable, but I'm able to do this. I'm able to, you know, perform both in the gym, out of the gym. I'm able to cognitively perform, you know, I run, you know, two successful businesses. It's incorporating certain things into my lifestyle and realizing these are the most optimal ways for me to get the results I'm looking for. That's why I think that, you know, you are a perfect guest for the bodybuilding lifestyle, because when I hear this and just look at your page and just, just off a quick glance, I can see that you are somebody who very much like, yes, you did compete and stuff, but not like, you're not like a hardcore, well, I don't know how like high you went in competing, but mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, top IFBB pro or something like that. It's really more about the self-esteem, you know, having a certain image that goes with what you're doing business-wise, lifestyle-wise, like you said. So it all comes together. And that's what I'm trying to learn for myself and also teach the people on the podcast because all my clients are lifestyle clients. I don't do competitions and stuff like that. I do think that there is a really big value in learning bodybuilding principles and fitness principles and learning how to integrate them with a normal lifestyle, having a job, running a business, having relationships. I don't think that you need to be like an extreme hardcore bodybuilder. Although I do enjoy that. I like talking to those people. I'm like, that's, that's fun, but you don't have to do that in order to look like you. And, you know, you can, you can still look like Brandon and perform at a high level. You just have to understand, you know, what he understands, which might take a long time. But what I'm trying to get out of you is, you know, practical application, like you said, like Absolutely. Fat, fasted cardio, 10 minute walks after meals, you can still eat a lot of carbs, but you need to slowly increase things to give your metabolism time to catch up. These are, you know, the principles that you have to understand on a practical basis, you don't need to understand necessarily, you know, micronutrients or insulin sensitivity, you don't need to know that stuff, as long as you're doing the right stuff. And you're working with a coach that tells you, okay, do this, do this, eat this, do this, Absolutely. you know? Okay. So that brings me to my next question. And this is something that I'm very interested in just from you and your personal experience, mm -hmm. you know, as a bodybuilder, it's very hard to feel like, like happy with where you're at and how you look like, do you still feel that you want to add on to your physique or do you feel like you're at peace with it? You're a finished product and you're more focused on other avenues of life. No, just so just like you alluded to, uh, I think any of us, I think, I don't want to say any of us, I want to say most of us that are attracted to this lifestyle, it's because you have this desire for never ending self-improvement. So will I say that I'm ever going to be content with my physique? No, but I, I don't see that as a bad thing. I, I see myself as a perfectionist in many aspects, whether it be in bodybuilding, in fitness, in business, uh, in my personal relationships, just in, in general. But I always make sure that I realize that I cannot prioritize everything in my life at one time. So there are, I, I call it the three F's. And my approach to life and, and fitness in general is that I need to prioritize. I can only prioritize a certain amount of things at one period of time. So the three F's include fitness. So that's going to be my, my competitions, my bodybuilding, all that kind of stuff, you know, finances, which is going to be both of my businesses and anything to do with my education behind that. I take a lot of uh, mentorship classes. I do a lot of continuing education. And then I, I group the other two into one category, which I consider family, but that's both my family and my, uh, my relationships, as well as my faith. I'm never going to hit three out of three. So my goal at all times is to do two out of three. Well, 
at no time can someone tell you that they're able to achieve a high level of success with balance. I, I don't believe in that. I, I wish I could. I wish I could promote that, but that's not realistic. So what I try to do is I periodize sections of my life where I'll hit two out of three, because let's think about it in logistical terms. If you were a baseball player and you hit the ball two out of three times, you'd have a, a crazy ERA. You know what I mean? Well, so you'd like be the best baseball be player of all time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I see people and they spread themselves too, too thin all the time. Um, and they, they become, uh, you know, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So really when it comes to, to bodybuilding, there are periods within the year where I say, I'm going to dedicate the next, you know, 24 weeks to a periodized block where I'm trying to, to put on lean mass, where I'm trying to cut down for photo shoots for a competition, so on and so forth. But when I finish that, I still maintain those habits. I still train five to six times a week. You know, I still eat my five to six regimented meals per week. I have my one-off plan meal. I still track my calories, but I realize that if something happens that comes up within my day, whether it be a business call or it be a, a personal thing, and that's right now I'm, I'm more prioritizing, you know, family and, and finances at that time that I need to say, all right, maybe I need to shorten my workout from 90 minutes to 60 minutes. I need to put it a little bit on the back burner, but I'm never completely disregarding my bodybuilding goals. So honestly, to answer your question, I'm not satisfied. I don't think I ever will be, but I will tell you, I've allowed that to fuel me towards growth in both fitness, but also in the education of fitness, which has helped my coaching clients. And this past year, especially, this was the first year in six years that I did not compete. So I was very competitive at one time. You know, I was on the national scene. I, I've been top 10 at, at numerous national shows. And I was very into the competition aspect, but I noticed that it took away from my relation. I lost relationships. It hurt me in business. You know, what I do personally uh, as a major career is, is very travel dependent. So at one time I was traveling 75,000 miles a year and I was prepping on the road. Now, mind you, when you're in a deficit and you're, you're doing two hours of cardio a day and you're eating 1500 calories and you're really getting to those low, you know, pretty much unnatural levels of body fat, you don't have it cognitively. So for me to walk into a boardroom meeting, I was, you know, stimming myself and taking nootropics and, and doing everything I could just to, just to operate at, at my normal standard of excellence. So I've had to take the good with the bad and realize there are going to be periods of my life where I'm really going to be able to dedicate myself towards bodybuilding and pursue those roles hundred percent. And there's going to be other times that I got to ease off the gas and look at it as maybe a health phase or a digestive reset phase or a maintenance phase. And I don't think I'll ever be satisfied, but I will say that through doing this for such a long time and doing this as a career as well, I've realized that I can't always be like just chasing physique related goals and allowing myself to get attached to the look in the mirror because that oftentimes backfires. And that's why we see so many bodybuilders that they live a more unbalanced lifestyle than they need to. Like I said before, there is no such thing as balance when you want to be good at something. But I see a lot of guys that sacrifice everything in the process of their pursuit of their, their goals, whether that be their health status, their financial status, you know, their relationships. And then they walk off stage with, you know, a $5 trophy. And I'm not trying to discredit that because I've chased it too but with a $5 trophy and having lost everything in the process and having nothing to go home to. I think the issue that a lot of people have in bodybuilding is that they get into bodybuilding, they love bodybuilding and the natural progression from that is competing. Like, okay, I love doing this. I love getting big. I love being in great shape. So now I wanna show off what I built on stage. And like I'm 25 and this is kind of the, the, the point in life where a lot of guys jump in head first, you know, unless they wanted to be very, you know, irresponsible and do it at like 1920, but that's crazy. Mm -hmm. But usually around 24, 25 is when guys really gas it up and see what they could do on the stage. You know what I mean? And that's, 
that's what I thought that I would be doing when I was, you know, 19, thinking about, you know, my future and how I really love working out and where I was going to go. But then as I got a little older, I saw that, you know, there's no money in that. And I think that it really makes sense. Like you have to earn your spot on the stage, like kind of, I think it makes sense to build a career first, be a coach, help people. You don't have to help people who are getting on stage. You can just help normal people build a career, build yourself up so that you have money. You can afford these things. People don't understand how expensive competing is, how expensive, you know, growth hormone is and all these different things. And then they're already so deep that they, you know, like you said, they sacrifice relationships the, all the money that they make at their job and they just put it all into the competition when really you should put, I think, you know, if you're a bodybuilder listening to this and you're serious about it, you should put it all into yourself, your business, building yourself up as a bodybuilder on social media first. And then once you already have an audience behind you, then you can step on stage and really leverage what you built and actually have fans and people who care that you got on stage so that you'll benefit from the competition as opposed to just doing your local competition and nobody saw or cared really. What, what do you think about that strategy for young guys coming up? I think, Elon, I think that's incredible advice, especially from where you're at and where we are in today's day and age in, in today's fitness culture. You know, we have to think about the prevalence of social media right now. Right now, you could build an online business or you could build a reputation without necessarily having to step on stage. Now, when I started in this, and I started a career in this in, in 2008. So when I started competing and coaching, I actually started coaching just general population clients prior to ever going into competing. So that was 2013, but I stepped on stage by the next year. So at that time, Instagram was just starting. You know, Facebook wasn't that popular for, for marketing businesses and online coaching really wasn't that prominent. You know, online coaching has really taken a resurgence and really become popular in the last three to five years. So when I started in 2013, there was basically no one doing it. And the only way that you establish yourself was through competing and then through word of mouth. So within your community, but if you wanted to get a bigger outreach, it was going to regional shows. It was going to national shows. It was bringing athletes and then also bringing yourself and proving that you could not only, you know, talk the talk, but walk the walk. So that was early on in my competing career. That was seen as something that was extremely important, but I always kept in mind. I'm very fortunate. I had very good early mentors in, in terms of coaching, but also in business. So when I first started out in the fitness industry, one of the first companies I worked for was a company called Europa Sports Distribution. So what Europa Sports is, it's the number one largest supplement distributor in the country. So they represented 351 brands when I was there. And the owners were former bodybuilders themselves. So actually one of the owners, Jeff Compton, was second at the USA's uh, back in like 84. So back then you had to win not only your class, but the overall, but he was very close to a pro card. And I remember him warning me because I was a young guy. I was the youngest person in the company. And he told me, listen, you know, I came to a conference one time the day after a show. I, you know, I won the show that night. And the next morning at 6 a.m., I flew out to North Carolina where their headquarters was. And he was, you know, I'm still spray tanned and all. So he could obviously tell I competed. And uh, he said, listen, you know, congrats. It's great that you represent our com company like that, but never sacrifice. He always he used to tell me, and I tell this to all my clients, bodybuilding is a part of your life. It is not your life. And that was something that really, you know, rung true to me. And, and I've always kept that with me throughout the entirety of, of my career. And it's really always kind of brought me back down to, to baseline and said, all right, let me pursue two things. Like I said, my two out of three rule. So right now, I think that building your business in today's day and age, it's phenomenal. If you want to be a coach, start with coaching, start with getting experience. You don't have to necessarily, you know, do competitions and really, 
you know, distract yourself from the process of actually coaching. But when I was doing it, that was the only option. And if you talk to a lot of other guys that have been coaching for a long time, if they didn't compete or they weren't active and really chasing them, those goals early on, they weren't going to get the clientele. Yeah, that that's interesting. And, you know, I think somebody like you comes from a lot of experience and definitely has a more well-rounded, you know, approach as, as you get older, like you've seen the competition side, you've seen the lifestyle side, you've been on the business side and all that stuff. So I think somebody like you has a ton of valuable information, a more holistic view, but for someone who's younger, you got to start somewhere, you know what I mean? So I think it's better to start in an avenue where like, if I was competing right now, I, I wouldn't be talking to you on a podcast. Like I just, exactly. I wouldn't be meeting people. I wouldn't be talking to people. I would just be going to the gym. I would just be focused on getting shredded. I would be focused on my competition. I would only talk to my coach and my girlfriend pretty much if she wanted to stick around the whole time. So. And it's so, it's so important for you to hit on that because I think that a lot of people getting into bodybuilding today, I talk to a lot of guys, 18 to 22 years old, that, that come to me as, as potential new clients. And what they don't realize, they see what's on Instagram. They see what's prominent now, but they don't realize how selfish bodybuilding really is because they see all these Instagram influencers who look great, myself included. You know, I'm not saying I have the greatest physique, but they'll even come to me and say, I want to look like you. But they don't realize that I locked myself into a gym. And, and when I was in college, I was in the gym twice a day. You know, I, I was very fortunate. I lived with a couple of national caliber athletes in different disciplines, D1 athletes. So we were living the same lifestyle. They got up for 6 a.m. running and I went to the gym. You know, they went to practice at night. I went to the gym, but I didn't go out. I didn't drink. You know, I sacrificed a lot of my, my early, you know, you know, life to be able to cement and build up a physique and build up the knowledge needed to propel myself forward. Now we have guys coming into the, the, the fitness industry and they think, oh, I could do it all. You know, I could be an Instagram influencer and I could be a bodybuilder. What they don't realize is a lot of times the foundation to that and the foundation, especially to competing is so narrow-mindedly focused that you can't do anything else. Like you said, you'd be speaking with your girlfriend if she was lucky. You'd probably <laughs> lose a lot of relationships because I'll tell you I did. You'd be speaking with your coach and you'd be so locked in and you need that focus. When you are so competitive that you want to do this and this is your number one priority, you need to give it your all. You need to stay locked in. But we have to realize that by being that focused on one task, you're not going to be able to, you know, effectively build a business at the same time. So a lot of young guys that come to me, sometimes I'll tell them, listen, let's just build a foundation. First of all, realistically, I tell them, I'm always honest. You don't have enough muscle to compete. That's, that's just plain and simple, even in men's physique. So let's build a foundation. And if you want to get into coaching, the first thing I push people towards is in-person personal training, because that's something I did. And that built a great foundation not only from like a mechanic standpoint, you know, from biomechanics and really learning people, but from, you know, an interpersonal communication aspect, because that's the one thing I still see a lot of new coaches getting into coaching. They don't understand how to read people because they never dealt with people in person. You know, they didn't get that, that interpersonal communication between their clients and really saw what they needed. So they only, they only focus on the body. They only focus on the physiology and they completely discard the psychology. How much, how much of your coaching would you say is like telling people what to do and giving them, you know, very specific instructions, you know, science-based instructions and practical application-based instructions and how much is, you know, motivating, uh, answering questions. Like I know some coaches like to draw like a hard boundary on like, don't talk to me about personal stuff. I'm only here to advise you on what to do. Um, I like to build like a friendly relationship with the clients so they could talk to me about anything. But at the same time, there has to be a, like a hard stop where it's like, 
okay, coach says conversation's over. Like we're not paying enough for this conversation to go on, you know? So what do you think about that? So I will tell you uh, on my perspective, I also, I'm going to make the caveat here. I cap my client base at around 30 clients. And the reason I do that, I've had up to 50, 60 clients in years in the past. But the reason I do that is at this point in my coaching career, I've been doing this for eight years. Um, I'm lucky that I could be a little bit more selective of who I work with. And it's not based on genetics or anything. It's, it's based on, do we, do we connect? Because I have relationships with all my clients. And so I'm going to hit on this, what were you saying? So the mechanics of, of coaching, the programming aspect, I'm very detail oriented. So there is a lot of education within my programs. I was actually, I was writing an article, I'm doing a magazine article and uh, they asked me for some like the in-depth to my coaching. So I went through and I I did all the percentages. So what are what percentage of my client base is gen pop and what percentage are competitors and this, that, and the other. But I also had to look at what was my, my average um, length of program and it's 19 pages. So it's extremely in-depth. You know, you're not Jesus getting a cookie cutter program. You know, yeah. it's very, I'm very detail oriented, but I also want to pass through, hey, I've worked with all these coaches. I went to mentorships. I've learned all this information. I want to pass that to you so that I could essentially speed up your learning curve. So I would say 50% is the the pure mechanics of coaching. That is the calories, the macros, the foods, the micronutrient status, the supplementation, you know, the potential pharmacology, you know, uh, the lifestyle design. I'm very into, you know, kind of helping my clients design a better lifestyle and implement better habits. And then besides that, another 50% is all psychology based. So it's on habit building and habit stacking. It's on I wouldn't say motivation. It's more of discipline um, building because motivation is, it wanes, it comes and goes. So I'm not trying to motivate clients. I'm trying to get them to implement habits that are sustainable, but that they're also able to execute on a daily basis. Because when you're not motivated, your discipline will, will be the thing that drives you through. And then it really comes down to, you know, a lot of my clients, I, I know more about their personal lives than I know some of my friends because we've been working together for so long. Like I was saying, I had to do all the, um, the analytics of my business. And my average client has been with me 14 months, which if you look at the coaching industry, the last time I saw a figure from a a pretty prominent uh, business coach on coaching was the average client is between four and six months with a coach. So I'm looking at approximately two to three times the retention rate of most people. So I've built these relationships and that's so important because there are things that go on beneath the surface. So I always say your, your physiology, you know, kind of like goes in line with your psychology. So the body follows the mind, if you know what I mean. So there are so many things like, for instance, I just had a client case. I work with an IFBB pro that's been on the Olympia stage and all his biometrics looked great. So we're talking about his training performance, you know, his sleep, all these type of things looked great. And the only thing that was off, his blood pressure was on point. It was 115 over 67. Um, his resting heart rates in the mid fifties. The one thing that was off was his blood glucose. So it was a one day reading. So I had him do an average weekly reading. And the next week he, he just reported into me yesterday and it was still elevated. So I had to go through all the factors. You know, I got on a call with him and I, I kind of explained it to him. I said, listen, these are the top three categories that could be influencing your, your blood glucose. We know what your supplementation is like. We know what your body composition like is like. So it's, it's very indicative that you, you're insulin sensitive. But let me go over some of these questions. What is your stress like? Well, in his mind, he didn't have any stress. You know, work's been all right you know, relationships are right. But what he didn't realize was training was becoming a stressor for him physically that was impacting his blood glucose. But he wasn't seeing that. He wasn't perceiving that. But when I started talking about how did he feel during his sessions, well, he was marking down in his, in his feedback to me that he was having great sessions because he was pushing himself and he was seeing PRs, but he was also, you know, 
his recovery felt all right, but he was feeling drained mentally in sessions. And he thought it was just because he was blaming it on CNS fatigue. And he was saying, well, I'm, I'm really pushing myself to all time best. I thought it was just in the moment. But when we really peeled back the layers of the onion, I said, listen, we're going to go into a deload. So this was earlier this week. He's three days into the deload. He sends me his fasted blood sugar every single day. So he went from an elevation of around 98. So for any of your listeners, around 99 is shown as pre-diabetic. Anything over 100 is considered pre-diabetic. He went from 98 to 90 on the first day of the deload because I just said, you're not training today. You know, just take a nap when you usually would train. And the rest of the week, we're going we're gonna to pull back. We're going to feed you up. We're going to make sure that, you know, he's, he's suffering from excess cortisol, essentially. And so he went from 90 to 88 to 85 this morning. So within three to four days, he saw a 13 point drop in milligrams per deciliter. But if I didn't have that conversation, if I didn't get into a psychology, you know, because on the surface, everything looked great, except that blood glucose, a lot of coaches would say, ah, he's, you know, he's lean, he's insulin sensitive. That's just a, you know, uh, indirect marker. It's, it doesn't have any correlation to anything else. But if you really take a deep dive into your client's history, into their psychology, into other aspects of their day, Besides just did they hit their macros and did they hit their sets and reps, you're going to be able to take a lot more from the process and as are they. That's, that's really interesting. And I actually had a similar experience where my, my blood glucose was, was high getting into the nineties and stuff like that. And I decided to take a week off training, not because I thought that training was causing it to elevate, but mm -hmm. because when I only take my growth hormone on days that I train. So I was like, Absolutely. I'm not going to train. I'm not going to take my growth hormone. And I'm just going to take a week off because I don't know what's going on. And my shit is going, getting out of whack and it's only getting worse. So I just took a week off training. And yeah, same thing. It was up at like 97. And when I checked it on my off week, it was in the 80s. Exactly. Um, but But that brings me to my next question, I guess, like, if you're going to be pushing yourself and you're going to be growing and you're going to be, you know, taking steroids, taking growth hormone, just really trying to get to that next level. Do you think that that process is inherently unhealthy and you just can't avoid sometimes having readings that are off? Like, how do you find the balance between pushing yourself to a certain limit and, you know, being healthy? Because I see you, right. And I see your physique and the way that you look, and the, what you maintain, right? And what I see is someone who is healthy. Like you look healthy, the physique is of someone that is healthy, but could you be this healthy with 40 more pounds of muscle looking to push, you know, on an IFBB pro stage? Like, could you, like, do you feel that the physique that you're maintaining right now is the way you look? Like, do you look like that because you're being minimalistic? And do you think that somebody could, not be minimalistic and still be healthy? 100%. I love this question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this off with a statement that I tell every one of my clients and any friend of mine that comes to me about pharmacology, about pushing themselves in bodybuilding, and especially within competing. So we got to think about these are two subsects. Competing in any aspect of a sport is not healthy. It's not inherently healthy, but there's a better way to do it. And I always tell my clients, a healthy body is a more responsive body. So what I mean by that is competing in, in any sport that you go, whether it be MMA, you have a likelihood of a traumatic brain injury. You go into uh, endurance sports. You're going to be um, very susceptible to what's called REDS, relative energy deficiency syndrome. So you'll see with that, especially women, I don't know if you've worked with any endurance athletes, but I've had women come to me with, that have the athlete, the three athlete triad or the female athlete triad. So they have amenorrhea, they have loss of uh, menstrual cycle, they're losing their hair, they have hypothyroidism. So their thyroid's downregulated. These are things that 
it had nothing to do with pharmacology. It had to do with excessively pushing yourself. So in bodybuilding, now let's, let's think about it. You're pushing yourself in the gym. You're now you're taking, you're putting in pharmacology and, and a lot of times polypharmacy. So the mixture of, of multiple drugs, you know, besides just anabolic steroids, we're looking at multiple pathways that do, you know, positively influence your ability to, your ability to secrete, you know, muscle protein and, and increase muscle tissue, but also can have a deleterious effect on your health. So what I always try to get, you know, through to people is that is bodybuilding healthy? Not inherently. However, can you do it in a healthier manner? by monitoring your blood work, by taking track of your, your biometrics, by staying on top of your health supplementation? Absolutely. So what I generally see is when I have a client come to me, say from another coach, and he's been blasting his socks off essentially, but he hasn't been prioritizing the other aspects of his life. He, his sleep is mismanaged, his stress is, he doesn't mitigate his stress, doesn't take any health supplementation. He hasn't had blood work in a year or so, you know, um, and he doesn't do any biometrics. Generally, when I start getting them to track it, it's horrendous. So that in that case, that person pushing their body to the extremes, they're bodybuilding in a, an extremely unhealthy manner. But let's take it in another context and let's do it through an approach that I have considered or that I think is the, the safest way to do it. So now I have someone using bodybuilding pharmacology. I bring them back down to a minimum effective dose. So we have to think about that in the context of what is minimum for this individual. But usually what I peel it back to is when I'm trying to get someone to approach this in a healthier manner, I'm starting them at what's considered the minimum effective dose for natural replacement. So for testosterone, that would be two milligrams per kilogram. So we have a hundred kilogram male, you know, they're going to use 200 milligrams of testosterone. They're going to start off that. Now we have clinical research on that, that that has been shown to actually improve, you know, testosterone deficient males health. So there's no reason to believe that a bodybuilder taking that route could not be healthy. So I'm not saying that 200 milligrams is going to get you to the IFBB stage. What I'm saying is when we have to reset health, you know, that's where we need to go to. So, or if someone's starting out, that's where I would put them. I would put them at two milligrams per kilogram. And then I would be monitoring all different background levels. So before they get on cycle, I'm going to be doing blood work. And that's going to be my foundation. It's going to allow me to look at the markers, you know, the, the, the CBC and the CMP values that might be off or that might be, you know, their genetic baseline. So I'll see where their cholesterol levels are at. I'll see where their hematocrit and hemoglobin, so their blood viscosity is at. So I'm going to really dial into those things. And then I'm going to monitor them throughout the course of their cycle and throughout their course of their working with me. So that's really, I try to get people to, to set a healthy baseline, whether it's right out the gates when they're first starting or they come to me and they're in an unhealthy place, I'm trying to reset them. And from there, I'm monitoring things on a weekly basis because I try to get my athletes every three months to get blood work. And at the, the longest period of time, it's every six months. But I do realize that there are transient changes that happen, can happen in an acute period of time. You could use an oral steroid and really, you know, jack up AST and ALT values. So I want to be looking at things that could be indicative of health consequence. So that's where I'm tracking resting heart rate. So that is a marker of aerobic capacity. So if you're not, you know, if your aerobic capacity is lowered, meaning your heart rate's higher, you're going to be more susceptible to cardiovascular events. So that's my real marker for heart health. So I want to see that Harvard has a study that shows 70 uh, beats per minute or less, but we have to keep in context that that is a population average. So that means that that was an average of Americans in the US. Now we have to think about in the context when we look at studies that a lot of times these aren't healthy populations. So if I wanna work with a person that wants to be healthy, we have to higher our standards. So essentially what I'm looking for with all my clients is under 60 beats per minute. And if it's above that, we're gonna do more aerobic work. We're gonna you know, include more cardio. We're going to include higher rep ranges. So we improve that aerobic capacity. They're going to have better endurance capacity. They're going to have better, uh, you know, 
ability to sustain higher training volumes, things like that. Then I'm looking at blood pressure. And that's a big thing I see so many people overlook. And if you don't have, guys, I, I want to put this out there. If you don't have a blood pressure monitor, but you you have enough money to, to get gear or growth hormone, you're doing yourself <laughs> a disservice, honestly. Because not only do things like PEDs and growth hormone, you know, have this, the likelihood to elevate blood pressure, but blood pressure is the silent killer and is the number one indicator for renal or kidney health. So I'm always trying to monitor that and I'm trying to make sure it's under that threshold of 120 to 80. And now if I see it's elevated, we're going to do more aerobic work. We're going to try to, you know, um, balance out their sodium to potassium ratio because potassium has the ability if you're uh, potassium deficient, which most people are because they're not tracking their micronutrients, the, the RDA is 4,700 milligrams. So I'll get them to that threshold. If blood pressure is still elevated, I still have someone hypertensive, we're going to include an ancillary drug like an ARB to lower that. That is a baseline thing that I believe should be implemented with all people. And then from there, the other marker that I'm looking at is blood glucose, because that is a marker of, you know, your acute or your temporary, you know, insulin sensitivity, and then your ability to partition nutrients. So those are three markers that I'm looking at, at the beginning of a cycle, and then throughout the course. Now, someone's using growth hormone, like you were saying before, you're, you're most likely going to see an elevation of blood pressure because you're going to have more inner uh, or intercellular water retention. So that's going to increase blood pressure values. Then you're also going to see an elevation in um, your blood glucose. So that's where we have to monitor those things and say, we have to set a cutoff. Hey, if this gets above, you know, the, your fasted blood glucose, if this gets above 95 milligrams per deciliter, we need to start monitoring things. If your blood pressure gets above 130 or 135 over 90, we need to, you know, implement uh, a ACE, or ACE inhibitor or an ARB. And so by doing those things and putting those values in place and those cutoffs, those maximum cutoffs, we're able to approach this sport in a healthier way. And then from there, that's where I really look at stack design. And that's where I think that, do I think bodybuilding is healthy? No, but I think there's a much better way to do it. And I think the reason we see a lot of bodybuilders who are unhealthy is that the way they go about their, their training, their nutrition, especially, and then their stack design. And I think if you optimize all those things and then put you know, ergogenic supplementation, health supplementation on, on the table, you would able, you'd be able to get the same outcomes in terms of results, but with less deleterious side effects. This isn't to say anyone's going to walk around being the healthiest individual, because that's not what this sport is, but you can be healthier than you would be otherwise. I'm going to, I'm going to save that clip for myself because that's, that's very intensive and things that I've been learning recently, honestly, like I've been, I've been working out for 10 years now. And I only started hearing all this stuff recently from like Victor Black, you, um, and just a few other like people that are not the mainstream voices in the industry talking about real, because the, well, unfortunately, I think because this stuff is dense and I feel like you have to get to a certain point to be able to even understand what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like hundred percent, like you have to have some not only bodybuilding references, but some basic understanding of biology and chemistry to, mm -hmm. to, to, to understand, like a lot of people are going to hear blood glucose and they don't even know what it is. They hear insulin sensitivity. They don't know what it is. You know, very, very simply, if you don't know what Brandon's ta talking about, basically just on a very bro level, it's just like when you take steroids and, and push yourself and work out really hard, your body is going to start to have inflammation and things are going to start to break down and you need to either pull back 
and, or use other drugs to stop those things from happening. And if you don't track all these things, blood pressure, blood glucose, heart rate, you don't know when that happens. And so you're just going to exactly. push yourself past a certain point. You don't have the information to know that you're pushing yourself past an unhealthy point. Your body's not going to give you that feedback right away. It's going to give you that feedback, like maybe 10 years from now. So you're not going to know you're going to keep pushing yourself and think that you're doing fine. You're going to get used to feeling like shit where feeling like shit is actually feeling good for you. You're on a pump. You're like, you know, you're a little dizzy, but you know, fuck it. We're doing squats. You know what I mean? So, and then you just keep going down that path and that's where people get health issues. So, you know, I feel very fortunate to talk to people like Brandon and just learn this stuff in my earlier age, because I'm still like a dumbass who's going to push myself past the limits, but at least having the information lets me know where the cutoff points are, where I need to take a step back. So 100%. my my question for you is, um, you have reached a point now where you are, like you said, you have a very like good understanding of your maintenance. You know how to eat, how to train, how to live in a way that lets you maintain a physique that you feel confident about, you know, good to put out into the world and represent yourself in that manner. So what does that look like for you right now? Just very briefly, like what pharmacology is actually involved in your maintenance and what, how many times do you train and roughly what do your macros actually look like, like right now? Okay. So I see everything in this hierarchy. So we're going to start with what I call high priority principles. So I know pharmacology is the exciting stuff, but that is, that is the, the, um, the cream of the crop or that that's the icing on the cake rather. So we're going to start with, with total calories. So my maintenance level is between 35 and 3,700 calories. And I want to make this very clear. A lot of people, when they say maintenance, they think it's a static thing. It's a static number. What you guys have to realize is that your, your caloric intake or your caloric expenditure rather is com uh, compartmentalized of four things. It's your basal metabolic rate. It's the thermic effect of food. So the amount of food or the amount of calories you burn for the food you ingest. It's your exercise activity thermogenesis. So that is all an intentional activity. That is all your training, maybe your direct cardio, and then your NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which includes like you're walking around your daily activities, cleaning the house, you know, walking in, in, a, in the store, getting your groceries, things of that sort. So those are the four components that make up your, your metabolism essentially. So when I say maintenance is a range, my range is 35 to 3,700 calories. That is because on some days I'm more active than others. And I've seen that I can eat 3,700 or 3,500 calories some days and maintain my weight. And then I can eat 3,700 calories another day and maintain my weight all the more. So we have to realize we have to get away from these numbers where you guys use a calculator and it spits out this number and you say, I have to ride or die by that. You know, this is, you know, my maintenance is 3,500. That means I'm going to be in a deficit at 3,000. You know, everyone uses these, these cookie cutter algorithms and these, you know, these uh, mathematical equations, not realizing that the body and the metabolism is a dynamic thing. It's constantly moving. So my, my maintenance calories is about 35 to 3,700 calories. I generally keep myself in a surplus. So I'll be three to 500 calories over that and able to stay lean at that. So generally what I'm looking at, my, me personally, how I break down my macronutrient composition is during a surplus, I'm going to be at one gram of protein at least per pound. So generally, you know, around 215 grams of protein or more. So sometimes that will float up. If I am dieting, I'm going to raise that between 1.25 and 1.5 grams per pound. So I'm just increasing protein because I'm trying to 
you know, essentially offset the effects of being in a catabolic state, which is what you are in a deficit when you're losing tissue. And I'm trying to lower the, I'm trying to increase the amount of muscle protein synthesis in comparison to muscle protein breakdown, because essentially what you want is what's called net protein balance. You want to be in a positive net protein balance. So then from there, I hit a minimum threshold of fat. So for me, the research shows that it's 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. So we're looking at 60, 65 gram, grams of fat around. Um, that's going to be comprised of, you know, I'm very into the food source itself. So I won't hit on every food source that I utilize, but I will say that I use a high dose of essential fatty acids because that's what your body really needs. So I'm using a mixture of fish oil, krill oil to get those EPA and DHA, which are important for hormonal health. They're important for cognitive function. They're important for so many things that help with insulin sensitivity. There's recent research that shows that a, a combination of EPA and DHA helps with HRV, which is your uh, heart rate variability, which will show your recoverability essentially. So I'm, I'm utilizing that. And from there, I backfill the rest of my calories from carbohydrates because carbohydrates are your body's preferred fuel source. So I'm using that. I'm someone that likes to periodize my training in a, in a way that I increase my volume. I titrate my volume throughout the course of a mesocycle. So as those weeks come up and essentially my volume starts to escalate higher and higher, I'm increasing my carbohydrates to meet that demand. So from there, like right now, like I told you, I'm on around 550 to 600 grams of carbs per day. And that's mostly, you know, I, I eat very um, unrefined, you know, unprocessed whole foods for the most part. I like following a lower FODMAP approach to help with digestion. And then it's very dense in terms of my micronutrient sources. So I'm utilizing fruit at least at three to four meals per day. So I'm getting four to six servings of fruit per day. I'm making sure I have greens multiple times per day. And then the rest is kind of fills itself in. And, and like I said, I track this stuff on chronometers. So this isn't stuff you guys are going to be able to look at a food label and know if you're, you're definitely hitting it on. And that's why I say you can't manage what you don't measure. Then from there, in terms of pharmacology side, I only utilize bioidentical hormones. So that's, that's my ideology for myself, just from a health perspective. But for me personally, I just use TRT. So, so that's two milligrams per kilogram for myself. And that's all I utilize now. Now, previous years when I competed, I might throw in a couple things here and there, but I've always been very, very concerned with personal health. You know, kind of why I got into nutrition. One of the reasons is that my dad had a heart attack and I was there when I was a, a young child. And he also um, died from diabetes related and cardiovascular related complications. And having seen that before I ever got into bodybuilding, I knew I was at a predisposition for these things. So that's where I, I started tracking blood glucose in like 2013. I'm in college doing that. So there's so many things that I've integrated into my lifestyle and into my approach towards this that it's, it's come from different experience and different subsects I've taken from performance nutrition, sports nutrition within my career. I've attended seminars all across the country for, you know, sports nutrition seminars in terms of supplementation and integrating that with, you know, whole food nutrition. So there's a lot of approaches I take that are different than just your generic, you know, bodybuilder bro approach but that's allowed me to have my health markers on point throughout this entire period and develop a physique that I'm not happy with, but I am in terms of where my development is at. It's something that I'm proud of because I've worked hard and I've gotten good results up until this point. But I want to, I want to touch a little bit on pharmacology because my, my approach isn't what I would utilize with a client. You know, I'm going to set a base perimeter for them, but in terms of bioidentical hormones, if you guys want to know a little bit more about that, that would be things that your body naturally recognizes. So that's going to be your testosterone, that's going to be your insulin, and that's going to be your growth hormone. Those are all three hormones that are produced in the body. So it's taking them in an exogenous form is not as detrimental to your health or, health or isn't as foreign of a substance to your body. So that's my approach personally. I don't use any veterinary 
research drug or veterinary or research drugs. I'm just really about what's in the clinical research. So, you know, that's what I would suggest for my generic, you know, gen pop client. You know, I have a lot of guys that are older, 35 to 45. They're on TRT. So I manage that. And the one thing I do want to put a caveat in that is that there's this misconception, even within the TRT community, which I don't get, that estrogen is your enemy. That, that's a huge misconception, guys. And I really want to drive home that estrogen, honestly, is your best friend. There's so many benefits of estrogen. It's lipolytic. It helps with fat loss. It helps with joint protection and joint integrity. It helps with the management of cholesterol. So it helps maintain your lipid values. And so I don't use any aromatase inhibitors. So even on TRT, you know, you'll hear a lot of guys, they get that generic cookie cutter program. It's 200 milligrams of testicipinate and it's 0.5 milligrams of Arimanex twice a week. And what I really want to get out to people, and I try to, I've been trying to hit on this po on podcast recently is that if you guys don't have symptoms of, of, you know, elevated estrogen, you should not be treating something with an ancillary drug that has more drugs or more side effects than the drug you're taking itself. And that's this big fallacy I see within bodybuilding, especially because we're taking a lot of times what we've taken in our community is what worked in the nineties or in the eighties. And we have to realize that there wasn't a lot of research then. And this was, they were just doing things experimentally. And yes, were they successful? A hundred percent. But just because they did that to get them there doesn't mean by taking that same approach that you're going to get where Ronnie got, or you're going to get where Jay Cutler got, nor does that mean that because it worked for them, that it's the best approach. We have much, you know, enhanced research. We have a lot more clinical trials on things. And there's a lot of data that shows that estrogen is not only neuroprotective, meaning it's, it's healthy for your brain, but it's cardioprotective. And that when you look at studies, randomized controlled studies, where utilized testosterone in a replacement dose by itself, it's shown to be neuroprotective. And that's thought to be because of the aromatization to estrogen, because testosterone converts to estrogen through the aromatase enzyme. However, when you look at studies done in the same cohort that added and introduced an aromatase inhibitor into the, the um, you know, testosterone replacement you know, synergy that they showed neurotoxic effects, meaning it was harmful for your brain. So that just shows that just the inclusion of you know, a simple thing like an AI, which many guys don't even consider an Arimidex or your Aromacin or your Letrozole, it has deleterious effects on your health. And that's one thing I see a lot of guys come to, and, and we're talking about the health of bodybuilding. I think that's one of the number one reasons why a lot of bodybuilders' blood work is so messed up. We never see guys with good cholesterol values, but as soon as I pull aromatase inhibitors out and do a comparative review of their blood work on aromatase inhibitors versus off aromatase inhibitors, their cholesterol values increase, their, their AST and ALT drops or their liver markers drop. There's a lot of things that show that these things are harmful for you. So the biggest thing I could suggest to people is, A, I would, if you're going to start out, go with bioidentical hormones first. Do not use veterinary or research grade drugs that don't have clinical trials, especially on humans. So we want you know, compounds that are pure for human use. And then also, you know, stay away from aromatase inhibitors or any ancillaries that you guys don't need. If you don't have a side effect, you shouldn't just automatically be chucking a drug into the mix. So yeah, I, that is great. I agree with literally everything that you said. I'm very happy that your macro breakdown is the same, pretty much exactly what I recommend. And I've been going on, you know, I, I have a lot of YouTube videos kind of like in the backlog right now, but my basic message that I've been putting out for the past like few months that I've been trying to educate people. And I try to do it in a very simple way because I think that most people, you know, they, they don't, they only have a very basic understanding of, of all this stuff. Right. Absolutely. So I just say, fuck keto and fuck SARMs. And that really just that that really just encompasses, you know, what you just said in a way Absolutely. that like, you know, in four words, like 
people are, you know, people see guys like you and they think that they do ketogenic diets and that they cut their carbs really low. Then you're here sitting here telling us that you eat like five, 600 grams of carbs a day. Doesn't make sense to most people. It just does not click. I used to hear things like what you just said two, three years ago after listening to guys like Dave Palumbo. I mean, he's like really the big one that like has it all backwards. And I'll just, and I would think, this guy just simply, you know, he's a skinny guy with a fast metabolism. He's always looked like that for a guy like me or a normal guy, we got to cut the carbs in order to get lean. You know what I mean? And that becomes true at a certain point. Like if you want to get on the stage, yeah, you have to cut the carbs, but you never have to increase the fats. I feel like people have fats completely all wrong. They should always be like, like you said, like minimize one gram per kilo or less for the fats. Absolutely. And uh, I've had I think- I think there's a huge misconception because a lot of people, especially within the natural community, they'll always point to the fact that we need fat for cholesterol production. Because if you look at the hormone synthesis, uh, essentially equation, it's cholesterol to pregnenolone to DHEA to, and then it becomes testosterone and other anabolic hormones. And yes, we do, but we need a minimum threshold of fat. And that's why we see these, I call them diet tribes. You'll have the keto zealots in one camp, you'll have you know, the carnivore guys in another camp and, and they're promoting things and it's sexy. They're telling people, and it's easy. You're going to lose weight. Think about it logically. If we have three macronutrients, we have proteins, carbs, and fats. If you cut out one macronutrient, that's 33% of your intake on already. You're in a deficit. So will it work? Yes. But the thing is, you're going to have nothing to help with ATP synthesis, which is the power, you know, essentially the, the energy currency of the cell, you know, which is carbohydrates. So you're going to have limited training capacity. You're going to be at a, a likelihood of having reduced training volume, reduced output, you're going to have, you know, flat, you know, if you're looking for a cosmetic look, you're going to have a flat stringy physique. So I'll tell you, I've tried keto before. It didn't work for me. And I've had clients that are dead set on it and I'm never one to take only one approach. So like I, I shared with you, this is my approach for myself. I've utilized every single diet that you can imagine. I've used, utilized paleo with people. I've had vegan clients. I've had um, vegetarian clients. So it's, it's all what fits the person. Any diet, especially in a deficit. Now, we're not talking about a surplus, but in a deficit, there's a, a trial called the Diet Fit Trial. It's a research study that showed that low carb and low fat were equivalent in terms of its fat loss outcomes. But a lot of times you'll hear people in the keto camps or people that really promote those higher fat, lower carb diets say, well, insulin's the enemy. That's what causes you to store fat. You know, and they'll, they'll demonize, you know, carbohydrates, whereas really, if you really were to take an objective look at it and look at what the successful athletes within what we're doing, we're not talking about endurance athletes, we're not talking about, um, you know, sport athletes, we're talking about bodybuilders, what have bodybuilders done throughout the years and gotten right, they've utilized a high protein, moderate or high carb diet and moderate to lower fat approach, and it's worked for them. And there's many reasons because we don't need hundreds and hundreds of grams of fat to help with natural hormone production. We need a small amount of essential fats. And generally what I see is people are deficient, not in overall fat intake, but the essential fatty acids, which is why I hit on those. Guys, you have to realize that the only two macronutrients that are essential are protein, because we cannot create them, and, and fats, but only the essential fatty acids. So research has shown that between 1,800 milligrams and about 5,000 milligrams of combined DHA and EPA is, is like the ideal standard, the gold standard for cardio protection, for uh, metabolic um, protection, for glucose management, for all those parameters for overall health, that comes from like 12 grams of fish oil. So that's like 12 grams of fat, you know? So it's, you don't need to go to these extremist approaches where you take a keto approach or you utilize stuff just because it's hearsay. You have to 
test it out. I, I suggest everyone do it. I did it myself. I want, I wanted to be able to say, listen, I've always taken a higher carb approach, but I've never tried keto. So let me see if it works. And did I lose weight and fat? Absolutely. But my performance tanked. And for me, being able to maintain tissue during a deficit, during a dieting phase, training is my number one priority. You know, we're, that's what we're there to do. We're there to train progressively. And if you're utilizing a fuel substrate, which isn't optimal for training performance, you're going to be at a disadvantage. It worked like I tried it too. It works. It just doesn't work properly. Like there's, exactly. there's things that work better and are no more difficult to do and get people better results. But like you said, it's just like sexy marketing and the same thing with the SARMs, like people, Oh, put on five pounds in six weeks with this on, you know, this never researched thing. Like you, you can't know that it does this or doesn't know this because there's barely any research. So, you know, we will just sell it to you. You take it and we'll just go away and, you know, good luck kind of thing. And, and that's, that's like what goes on with the SARMs industry, peptides, everyone's trying to always come up with something new that you can take to get results tomorrow. And, you know, we're the guys left cleaning up the mess that are just like, have to re-educate people and be like, Hey, how about testosterone? And like, just eating a healthy, normal diet, like as if you were a natural, there's those same things, just a little bit more of those things. And then you're good to go. Like that is bodybuilding. We're just trying to be more than we would have been normally. But I feel like a lot of people don't, they don't build up a strong foundation naturally. They don't build up a strong understanding of how these things work you know, from like a zoomed out perspective. So then when something new is like thrown at you, you're like, oh, a new thing. This might be the answer to all the question marks in my head. But once you get rid of all your question marks and you don't have any questions at all, or like, or your questions become more advanced kind of thing. Like, how do I monitor my blood glucose and stuff like that? So you, I think, you know, if you're listening to this, you got to start to think if you're, if you're still in that keto SARMs, like new things kind of Thing. You need to start to think bigger, start to think about how to monitor your health, how to sustain a great physique. If, if you want to know how to get there in the first place, it's actually very simple and, and easy. And we just laid it out for you. You could just do what we said, apply that to, and that's it. You don't, you don't have to pay us or do anything. <laughs> okay. So, so you, you talked about bioidentical hormones, TRT. The reason that I want to dig into this is because Right now I'm putting on size and then I'm going to cut. And then my plan later this year is to just completely, like you said, like the physique stops being a priority and the business becomes a hundred percent priority. And really like around later this year, around like September, that's when, when I'm shredded and everything, and I have like the money to invest in the marketing and really scale. So I would need to have a look like you at that time. And that's kind of what I'm going for. And then maintain that look for like, you know, as long as it takes me to build my business up to a certain amount that I'm very comfortable with, and then can get back to bodybuilding with the additional money that I made right, right now it's going well just off putting out information, but I think that there is a cap on your marketing potential when you don't have the look. I mean, what do you think about that? What do you think about like the look like that shredded, you, you know what I mean? Like that shredded influencer look and marketing when it comes to a fitness business or supplements. I'm sure you have a ton of experience and talk about this every day. Yeah. So, so this is a convoluted topic, to be honest with you, because I've seen a lot of people be successful just purely off of their physique. But I think as the years go on and we become more educated as a, as a community, you know, as the fitness community as a whole, we're starting to see through the bullshit. So I'll tell you early on, 
looking the way that I did, especially early on competing when I got into the supplement industry, it was very important, but I still had the knowledge base. I took more seminars than anyone I knew. I used to take any extra money that I had within college. I would go to events, would go to the Arnold Classic, would shake hands, would meet people. I'd network, I'd pay for seminars, I'd fly all around the country. So I was always trying to chase my education within this in conjunction with chasing a better physique. So I think my biggest thing here is don't ever center on just one aspect. Don't just center on the look, because if you're not developing knowledge and it's not only about the gaining of that knowledge, but the application of that. So working with clients, whether it be in person, in a gym or online, you're not going to gain the experience necessary. So do I think that improving your physique and having, you know, a more, not only attainable look, but also something that is uh, more desirable from other clients will bring in more people? hundred percent. I definitely think that's, that's a worthy uh, approach. However, I don't think it's the end all be all. And I'll tell you from my own perspective, at this point, I have many clients that have much better physiques than I do and better physiques than I could ever dream of. And the reason that they've come to me is not because of my physique whatsoever. It's because of my knowledge and it's because of my approach and it's because of my hands-on and detail-oriented uh, method and the way I go about things differently than a lot of other coaches. Um, you know, I think right now we're in a very evolving space within online coaching where you really need to be essentially a master of, of many things instead of just like a jack of all trades. So it used to be that you could be either, you know, know a couple things and do well, or just be, you know, really dialed in terms of your physique and you'd be able to get clients out. It doesn't work as much anymore. So you really need to, my biggest suggestion to you and to, to anyone listening to this is to enhance your education, to um, really work on, on, on your physique, but also more on your transformations and more on your clients really get involved into their process. But I will never tell you that being in shape has ever hurt me. But this is the reason why. So it's not just the look. It's not about the, the marketing. It's not about the Instagram pictures. It's about being a walking testament to the lifestyle. So what my clients see a lot of times when they have a bad week, they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, they'll be like, you know, I, I messed up or whatever it was. And, and they're disappointed and they're like, you wouldn't do that. And that's not the case. I, I'm always honest with them. I, I'm like, listen, I'm a human being too. I mess up and stuff. But the fact that they see me every single morning, you know, do a story that I'm doing my facet cardio at 5 a.m. when, you know, it's snowing out in New Jersey and, and no one's out on the roads. Or the fact that I'm always, you know, on point with my meals and then I share my weekly, you know, free meal and show them what it is. And if they ask me, I'll send them a recipe so they can see like the, the variety in my diet, the micronutrition that I hit. Just the fact that I walk the walk, because there are a lot of coaches within this space that have gotten so fixated on the business aspect that not only have they lost their physique, so they're not, they're not doing what they're preaching, but also they don't do any component of what they tell their clients to do. And I think that's the biggest important factor. So I think what you will get out of the process of getting yourself to a very lean, um, you know, enhanced physique is that you'll not only learn more about the process, which is going to help your clientele tenfold, because now you're going to be able to, you can't tell someone to go somewhere that you haven't been. I tell my clients all the time, and I, I coach pros that are better than me, that have been on the Olympia stage, that are more successful than I'll ever be at competing. But the thing is, I've been in the trenches with them. You know, I've done the, the severe diets. I've done the excessive amount of cardio. I've done good approaches and I've done bad approaches, but I've been there and I know what that's like. And I can relate to them on a mental level. So when they're checked out and they're saying, I don't know if I could do this, I get right on the call with them and I remind them about their why. I remind them about the benefits of this process. I remind them about the physical and mental growth that they're getting out of pushing themselves to see if they can reach a new limit. But I think those pictures and stuff, they're going to help you from marketing aspect without a doubt, but it's knowledge you learn on the way down in that diet. That's really going to serve you best. And also the fact that you're not just telling people what to do, you're showing them. So that's true leadership. It's not 
telling people Jocko Willink isn't, you know, a motivational leader in terms of the leadership space because he screams and, and tells people what to do. It's because he's done it himself. So there's proof in the pudding. And I feel like looking the part, and, and I'll tell you from my own perspective, looking the part has helped my credibility. But the fact that people know that I've had to put in so much work to get there has boosted my credibility and my experience all the more. And that's, you know, that, that takes educating them. Like you said, every day you're on the story, showing them what you do. When I ask you, were you someone that's always been ripped? Your first response is no, I wasn't. And this is how I got there. And that's, what's really valuable to people because they don't give a shit about how we look like at the end of the day. I mean, that's the last thing that they really care about. People want to get results for themselves, but I think there is an aspect of, you know, wanting to like, oh, I hired a coach and he, like you said, he walks the walk. He, he knows what he's doing. He can show his results and also to be motivated by your coach. So, you know, that the guy that you're talking to every day is also, you know, there and doing it and there for you. Like, cause you, you start to like, look up to people and you don't want to look up to, if you look up to another guy more than your own coach, then you might not wanting him to coach you, you know, 100%. I mean? so, so it's important to, to build that kind of thing. But so, okay. So my plan is set there. And then I'm wondering once I get to that maintenance phase, like you said, it's going to be TRT and you mentioned bioidentical hormones is, is growth hormone and insulin something that you use while you're maintaining, or is it just, you don't, you don't think that it makes sense to use, like if you're just maintaining. I'm going to tell you from my perspective, it isn't something that I generally will utilize. Generally what I'm going to utilize, and these aren't bioidentical hormones, but they're just additions and ciliaries. I'm going to utilize metformin to keep my insulin sensitivity high. So I'm doing that every single day. I think metformin, first of all, it's one of the most clinically proven drugs and most prescribed drugs in the world. Uh, Also, like I shared with you, there is a predisposition towards diabetes in my family. So that's something I'm always looking at my my hemoglobin A1C, I'm looking at my fasted glucose, and I'm also looking at fasted insulin levels on my blood work. That is always in range, especially even when pushing carbohydrates, especially when I'm using metformin. So that's one thing I'm going to utilize. I'm going to modulate that pathway. I'm going to modulate, um, you know, androgen receptor uh, upregulation. So I'm going to use an injectable L-carnitine, which helps me stay leaner, but it's also really conducive to mitochondrial uh, biogenesis and the density. And then also essentially, you know, we want to maximize our androgen receptors. So there's this fallacy that people think that androgen receptors downregulate, and that's why you need to come off gear. People tell me that all the time. You know, I came off because I wanted to uh, sensitize my androgen receptors. Well, honestly, through continued use, we've seen that androgen receptors actually upregulate. And if anyone wants to uh, get more information about this, I really suggest you look up the research uh, researcher, Dr. Scott Howell. He has a wonderful presentation on androgen receptors and how they upregulate and disproves pretty much all those fallacies and those myths that Dave Palumbo promotes and all these other guys. So one other vector that you could use to increase androgen receptor density on the nucleus of the cell is through L-carnitine usage. And the issue with L-carnitine, I do use it orally sometimes, but it's got a low bioavailability and it's generally seen in in studies to be about 15 to 18% bioavailability. So if you want between four and 600 milligrams, then you have to titrate that dose orally. Um, So a lot of times, you know, for clients that don't want to inject themselves, I'll utilize, you know, an oral L-carnitine tartrate supplementation, or I'll use an injectable carnitine to supplement myself. Um, But I do believe growth hormone insulin are are phenomenal, um, you know, pathways to modulate. It's just not something I utilize personally right now with myself, but I do use utilizing the clients. I mean, if someone's trying to stay lean, there's a, there's a lot of research behind using a growth hormone and or a 1.5 units of growth hormone in a fasted state. It's going to liberate both fatty acids and glucose into the bloodstream to be burned off as energy. So that's a great utiliz- 
great tool to utilize during a reverse diet. Uh, insulin is going to help with nutrient partitioning, the uptake. So if you want to use that around your training, that could be, you know, a very beneficial, you know, if you're using a short acting insulin, I would say utilize that around the training perimeter. And then also you can use a longer acting insulin if you do have, you know, some glucose management issues. So that would be like a long acting lances, just not something I personally use right now myself, but it's stuff I have utilized with clients. Um, so those are both bioidentical hormones that you could, you could definitely put into play, especially growth hormones going to help keep you leaner. Um, I will say, and you've mentioned this before, just watch your, your blood glucose on that. Like I say, like, that's something I'm very, I hone in on a lot with myself because I know I'm predisposed. So like we were saying, I didn't start out lean, but I also didn't start out insulin sensitive. And now I am. So when I first started, you know, into bodybuilding, I noticed I had really high fasted glucose and it, it concerned me because my dad's history. So that was stuff I've always, you know, I've always used insulin sensitizers, whether it be berberine or metformin, things of that sort to try to increase that insulin sensitivity. Because if you're insulin resistant, you guys got to realize insulin resistant is the root is the root cause of all chronic disease. So not only is it going to impact your body composition, because you're going to be less, you know, you're going to be less likely to partition or shuttle, you know, carbohydrates and other nutrients into muscle and more likely to shuttle them into fat but it's also going to have deleterious effects on your health. So I'm always looking at it from more like a longevity aspect. But if I was in a, a phase, like you said, you want to maintain that look, but you also have some, some big aspirations on putting on size, not that growth hormone is, is linked to muscle development, but it is in combination with androgen. So in combination with something like testosterone, it is going to help with recovery and it's going to help you facilitate, you know, better workouts, better recovery capacity, and thus lead to more muscle growth. It's always like a balance, you know, this whole like bodybuilding, making a business thing, it's, it's always like a balance of like, how far do I want to push the bodybuilding? How far do I want to push the drugs? How far do I want to push the food? How much do I need to work? How much is what I'm eating interfering with my ability to work? Cause I'm full, I'm bloated or I'm hungry. I can't focus. It's like a constant, it's like a equation with like a hundred different variables that you're trying to like all put in their right place. Like, okay, th in this block, I'm sacrificing this and the next block I'm sacrificing that. So I'm just, and, and you seem like a guy who has a, is a master really of putting these things together in your lifestyle. Um, I wonder what, do you use any like cognitive enhancing stuff? Because you seem like very dialed in and you mentioned nootropics. Is that something yes. that you utilize? Is that something that you do as well in your protocols or is hundred percent. So uh, I'm very big into, so I'll tell you how I got into, so I've been in the supplement industry the past 12 years. Um, so I'm very big into uh, ergogenic and then both cognitive and health supplementation. So ergogenic would be your performance supplementation and then also your health and your, your brain supplementation. So I actually have um, uh, ADD and that was something I was diagnosed as a kid and my parents never wanted to put me on medication like your, your normal stimulants and things of that sort. So we really modulated that or we, we mitigated those issues by using neurotransmitters. So I've been using nootropics since I was a teen to help me with focus. Now, those compounds have developed over time. So back in the day, it was like the racetam family, which isn't really prominent anymore. They've taken most of them off the market. So now I utilize what I see to be the best compounds available on the market. So I'm looking to essentially inhibit or rather I'm trying to upregulate certain production of certain neurotransmitters. So for instance, you know, your main neurotransmitters are going to be like dopamine, which is going to be like your happiness signal. Um, it's going to be acetylcholine production, which is your focus. So those are the two main ones that I look to, um, you know, use supplementation to help increase. So with that, my favorite supplements for acetylcholine, which is pure focus is going to be either alpha GPC or CDP choline. 
These are both choline donors that are going to increase acetylcholine production. And then for dopamine, I generally like using L-tyrosine, which is not only beneficial for increasing like your, your, your euphoric um, feelings, your mood, it's going to enhance overall feelings of well-being, but it also helps with thyroid production. So those are, it's like a two-in-one combo. I utilize that. And then another thing that is a little bit, um, if people look down on this, uh, I don't know why, but is a kind of um, unknown is um, nicotine. A lot of people don't realize nicotine has very beneficial uh, cognitive effects. It's actually been shown to be neuroprotective. So that's one thing I like utilizing on occasion. It's not something, now guys, think, like keep in mind, this isn't <laughs> nicotine, like I'm smoking a cigarette. This is nicotine gum in a controlled amount that I utilize, but it helps with cognition. It helps with the formation of a brain-derived neurotropic factor. So you're going to have better cognition, better focus, better memory retention. So those are a couple of the things I utilize. And then I really, I utilize, I have people asking me all the time about nootropics, but it really goes on my day-to-day -day demands. So if I notice that I've put a lot of output in the gym that day, I might need to use a little bit more caffeine, but with caffeine, caffeine only gives you that alertness and the energy. So I'm going to pair that with an amino acid called L-theanine, which helps bring you down in terms of your, your CNS activation, but it also helps with increasing the focus that you get from caffeine. So I, I do it on a day-to-day -day basis where I say, what are my highest priority tasks? You know, I kind of batch my week. I'm very into like scheduling and, and I'm very into um, like a daily routine. So on certain days, it's content creation days. So I spend, you know, it, this would be on a weekend. Saturdays, I usually create all my content for the week. You know, uh, Mondays are new product launches. So within my company, my supplement company, that's what I'm doing product launches, I'm reaching out to five, 600 people that day. So I really need to be, you know, really cognitively, um, you know, dialed in because I'm explaining products. I'm explaining ingredients. I'm explaining price points. I'm going over analytics and stats. Um, Tuesday is my podcasting day. So I, I do a podcast with a couple of friends of mine. So that's going to be more of like my L-tyrosine. I'm going to use dopamine. I'm, I'm going to use stuff that's going to help me just, you know, kind of relax, get more of a, a stress-free state. Um, but those are things that I utilize. And then I also utilize, I think you would find this beneficial is adaptogens. So we're in a stress out environment. So adaptogens are essentially compounds that help our body, um, handle stress and mitigate the effects of stress. So I utilize things like ashwagandha, specifically KSM 66, which is a clinically uh, patented form. So I utilize that to help lower cortisol levels, help lower stress. And that lets me think more clearly as well. So just like these combinations of different over-the-counter supplements, a lot of these are amino acids or they came, they're herbs that came from Ayurvedic medicine. So they don't have any harmful side effects and they're super beneficial to your overall cognition. And then in addition to that, you know, I'll always use alpha GPC pre-workout. So like I said, that helps with focus and cognition, but alpha GPC also helps with the mind muscle connection. So I'm going to get better, you know, a better connectivity to my, the working muscle group in the session itself. Do you get all this stuff for free through your uh, supplement company? Cause it sounds like this will start to get expensive. <laughs> no, no, I will tell you, I invest a lot into this. I, I, I tell all my clients all the time, I spend more on, and now this isn't on cognitive supplementation, but I spend more on health supplementation every month than I've ever spent on gear or any, any other compounds to build muscle. But um, in terms of the supplement companies I worked for, I've actually brought out numerous of these ingredients that I'm speaking about with you because of the fact that I utilize these on a daily basis. I utilize them in my practice with my clients and I saw a lot of beneficial effects. So then I, I would say to my CEO, I, I do not only national sales, but I also help with research and product formulation. So I help create the, the products themselves. So I would go to, you know, the CEO who I was working for right now, it's a company called the Nova farm. So we've brought out numerous products that I named here for you. The ashwagandha KSM 66 is something that we sell. It's one of our best selling uh, essential products essentially. Um, but other companies I've worked for, I've made nootropic uh, products for them. 
um, that have been very successful. I have so many questions about how to specifically use these things because these are all things that I've tried and I have in my house, but never really found like the correct place for, like you said, you have to take them at the right time. You have to do your research. Mm -hmm. I heard about ashwagandha post-workout. I did feel like it kind of helped me like relax post-workout. I'm not sure if that's when you would take it. Um, Yeah. So let's, let's dive into ashwagandha. So ashwagandha is one of the most clinically researched adaptogens out. And that's why it's my favorite. I like um, my three favorite for adaptogens would be ashwagandha in order is ashwagandha, rhodiola, and then bacopa. So ashwagandha specifically, it's going to help with um, anxiety. It's going to help with lowering cortisol. It's going to help with, it has some effects in the research on VO2 max or endurance capacity. So it does have some performance stuff. And then it's also been shown to help with potentially help with testosterone, but I think that's more because it's lowering cortisol. The research isn't really like conclusive on that, but think about what we're trying to do after we work out. When we work out, we're in a sympathetic state. So we're in fight or flight. You know, we're breaking down muscle tissue. Your body's engaged in activity. The minute you get out of the gym, you should be trying to go into the exact opposite to balance your system out, to promote recovery. And that would be going into a parasympathetic state. So that's your rest and digest state. So what I try to utilize is not only am I trying to, essentially you're trying to flip your physiology. So you're ramped up. I don't know if you ever had a, uh, like a really hard leg day and then you can't eat after it's because you're symp- in sympathetic overload. You know what I mean? The parasympathetic is like I said, rest and digest. So that is the state of the nervous system where you optimally can take in nutrients. You can relax, you could sleep and you could restore your body. So that includes recovery. So right after training, what I like to do is use a combination of ingredients that include adaptogens that are gonna help turn on that parasympathetic nervous system. Because a lot of times we get out of the gym, but we have life still. It's not like, you know, neither of us are pro bodybuilders where we can just exit the gym and go take a nap to promote parasympathetic nervous system activation. That would be great, but it's not the reality. So I take certain supplementation. I'll take recovery supplementation, like essential amino acids, things like that. Uh, But then I'll take things that are gonna help essentially calm myself down. So I'm gonna take taurine, which helps with, you know, essentially turning on the parasympathetic nervous system. It's going to help with electrolyte balance. I'm going to take stuff like L-theanine, which has a calming effect. That was another one that I said that I use in conjunction with caffeine when I'm trying to focus, but L-theanine has a great uh, effect on the GABA system. So it's going to help calm you down. I'll take ashwagandha in a clinical dose, which is 600 milligrams, um, which is going to help lower cortisol, which we see in studies is increased during training. So we have to think about it. You know, training, a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, you got to train to build muscle. Well, you're actually breaking down muscle in the gym. You're building it outside the gym. And the reason for that is during the process of training, you're going through what's called muscle protein breakdown. It's muscle protein degradation. A lot of that happens because cortisol is essentially liberating energy in the bloodstream so it could be burned off. So you're breaking down tissue, you know? So utilizing something that's going to lower cortisol is going to help with recovery overall. So I'll utilize ashwagandha post-workout, and then I'll utilize magnesium as well, which has, I mean, more, a, a list of benefits that I can't even go into. It's it's attached to about 400 different mechanisms, but magnesium helps with electrolyte balance. It's going to help with uh, calming you down. It's going to help with um, restoring parasympathetic nervous system, um, you know, activation. So those are like a combination. What I would suggest everyone do, you know, L-theanine, uh, KSM 66, which is the ashwagandha and then magnesium as a, as a baseline post-workout. And then I really like utilizing um, an adaptogen like um, KSM 66 or your ashwagandha before bed. And the reason for that is, like I said, it lowers cortisol. And now we have to look at the counter-regulatory mechanism of hormones in the system. So when cortisol is high, melatonin is low. So if we look at our natural cortisol patterning, cortisol should be most elevated in the morning and melatonin should be least. So that's why we have a cortisol awakening response. We wake up alert. 
that a lot of people, because they have a misaligned circadian rhythm with just, whether it be from shift work or just, you know, blue light exposure or just, you know, improper regulation of their, their schedule, they, they kind of have their system flip-flop. So they're, they're exposing themselves to blue light at night. They're watching TV or on their phone and they're increasing cortisol production as a, as a response to that. So now your body's not secreting as much melatonin to help you sleep. So that's where I like utilizing, you know, I'll use blue blocking glasses and a couple other things. And I have a really dialed in sleep hygiene routine. But one of the main components of that is lowering that cortisol. So my body can naturally output melatonin, which is our main sleep hormone. So I'll take KSM before bed as well. Uh, yeah, that was very, I'm going to have to rewatch that too. So much, dude, you should make like a, a member site or like a book or something because you have so much information. It's like, I don't know which topic to drill into because it's like, <laughs> there's just so much <laughs> info there. And I just, uh, how much more time do you have? It's been almost an hour and a half. I'd love to to learn a little bit more about I got, like a, Like another 30 minutes would be good, but um, okay. I appreciate you saying that. And we can always do other parts. So I have, I often do multiple parts on podcasts. So if you get listener questions, we can go into specific topics, or even if you just want to have another open combo and just kind of wing it as we've been doing, I'm a hundred percent in for it. I'd love to. Yeah. This, I mean, this gives me a lot. I'm sure people will reach out and have comments and stuff like, like you did about the other podcast. There's just like, I feel like these podcasts get so full with, it's like just so much information because I really try to understand, you know, what you guys know and everyone that I've had on the podcast so far knows so much. So it's like, sometimes it's like, I feel like I need like, you know, 20 podcasts to really understand the full like breadth of what this guy knows. But I just want to learn a little bit more about you because you seem like a very interesting guy and you, you've mentioned multiple times about your career in sales. Could you talk a little bit about you? You said you do sometimes you hop on 50, 60 calls a day. I find it interesting because I like my previous job was in sales. I was in software sales and that's actually like during the coronavirus thing, it didn't work out. And then I transitioned to online coaching and now that's going really well. And I'm doing this full time. Thank God. I'm very glad to not have to work in sales anymore. <laughs> I'm curious, uh, what, what is your, what is your day-to-day -day job as a sales? You said you're a national sales manager, right? What, yes, sir. what does that look like? Do you like it? Um, would you recommend that people who are into fitness get into that, you know, corporate side of, of uh, supplement companies and stuff like that? Because I feel like that's something that, you know, a lot of people think of coming up. Everyone has that experience where they, you know, worked in GNC. I worked in GNC. Did you work in GNC? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but very few people actually end up, you know, going further uh, down that, you know, corporate fitness industry road. So could you talk a little bit about that journey and, and what that's been like for you? Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to take you back to high school. So actually a little bit earlier than that. So really how I got into fitness in general, and it's important to, to note this because the reason I have a passion or I know this knowledge is because I really think a lot of times the best coaches are those that were trying to fix themselves. So early on, I was a very active um, kid. You know, I grew up playing every sport you can imagine. But once I entered middle school, I kind of dialed into two disciplines. And that was endurance sports. So I did cross country and track. And I did martial arts. And I competed at a high level at both. Um, and those were incredible experiences. I learned a lot of discipline and, and you know, routine and a lot of work ethic. But the thing with both of those sports, if you really think about it on a fundamental level, they're weight controlled. So you need to be at a certain weight. So you asked me, did I always have a good metabolism? Was I always lean? I wasn't. I was a pudgy kid. So I remember early on, you know, in middle school, I'm, I'm becoming more and more competitive in both disciplines. 
And both coaches from different domains would tell me, Hey, you're a little bit too heavy for this. So on the running side, you know, I was, my coach would always tell me you would do better if you were lighter. And then on the martial arts side, we were all competing in different classes. And a lot of times I was in the weight class that were for older individuals within my, my school. So now I'm taking other people's spots and we're not able to fulfill a lighter spot. So essentially what the, the, um, end result was I was pushed to lose weight and it ended up making me develop or ending up causing me to develop an eating disorder. So I went through that for a few years and um, it wasn't until I actually got some pretty bad injuries entering high school. I had thrown out my back. I had uh, numerous like disc issues and uh, I was sidelined for almost a year that I started going to physical therapy. So that first thing that they did was put me through weight training after the rehabilitation process. So I discovered a love for training but at the same time, I had been so nutrient deprived that my blood work was showing all these micronutrient deficiencies. So you'll hear me always hit on those micronutrient deficiencies, but I was deficient in zinc, selenium, B vitamins, vitamin D. I mean, you name it, I was essentially deficient in it. And that's why I really hone in on these things because I sustained much of those injuries and I stunted my development early on because I under ate and under fueled myself. So when I'm in the process of physical therapy, essentially you know, my physical therapist was a former bodybuilder. And so he kind of pushed me in the direction of you can rebuild your body, but at the same time, you need to fuel yourself. So all of a sudden I looked at food as something that I needed to restrict myself from to lose weight to something I needed to utilize to my advantage to not only help my recovery, but help me succeed in, in this area of physique development. Cause it wasn't bodybuilding. I didn't really know anything about that. I just wanted to be stronger. I wanted to be healthier and I never wanted to be sidelined where I couldn't play with my friends where I couldn't, you know, engage in the sports I love. So that was early on my freshman year of high school. And it took me into this like downward, you know, this deep dive into the topics of training, nutrition, supplementation. Now, like I hit on earlier, I, I was diagnosed with ADD during that time period. I, I had a lot of fo- uh, issues with focus. So my parents started bringing me to different supplement stores, different homeopathic doctors. And we started learning more about neurotransmitters and, and amino acids. And I realized that not only was there a health side to supplementation, but there was a performance side. So I started spending my full days at supplement stores and I would just bug them all day. And I I would just have my parents drop me off. And luckily a couple of the stores that I went to, they were right by a gym. So I would go to the gym and I would spend my whole afternoon next door. And I read and read and read more than you can imagine. And eventually by 16, I started working at GNC. And I worked at GNC all throughout high school, eventually managing an independent GNC prior to leaving for college. And when I left for college, I continued. I worked at GNCs. I worked at independent stores. I became an RSD, so a regional sales director of uh, GNC during high school or during college, rather. And by the end of college, I had done very well within a very large GNC uh, franchise or GNC corporate store. And so I already had a pretty good resume, but my degree was actually in legal studies. So this is actually something a lot of people know. I was supposed to go to law school. So I was studying for the LSAT and I had an opportunity um, come up. I had done uh, an essentially a uh, career building class in, in college. It was one of my last, my last classes to graduate. And during that course, we had to pick something outside of our major that we were passionate about, but that we weren't going to go into as a profession. So my profession was going to be law. Um, so I went into sports nutrition. So I contacted at the time, this company called Lone Star Distribution. They were number two in the country uh, for sports distribution. So the selling of, they would sell into everything from your your GNCs to your Gold's gyms, to your mom and pop retail shops. And during that course, I ended up creating a relationship with the national sales manager and he offered me a job. So essentially the course, I just had to essentially learn as much about the career path as possible and interview someone that was prominent in the country and then give a presentation where at the end, part of my my final project 
was to apply to the company, but it was supposed to be a mock application. So I told the national sales director, listen, you don't have to look at this. I just need to submit it and see that you got it. And that's my final presentation. So I got an A in the class and you know, a month or so later, he reached out to me and offered me a job. Now I'm still in college at the time. So I, I didn't take it. It was either in Texas or in Georgia. And at the time I was based in New Jersey and I, I wasn't willing to move and, and leave college at the time for it. However, it kind of kept in the back of my head. So a year later upon graduating, I got reached out again that they had a position in the tri-state. So for New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Now, mind you, I'm 21. I graduated early. I'm 21 years old. I'm studying for the LSAT. And I'm at this transitionary period of my life where I don't really think that I'm going to be passionate about law and about being a lawyer, but that's what my family wants me to do. My family's very big into academia. We have multiple doctors in my family, you know, PhDs and things of that sort. And school is very important. So everyone in my family had went through higher education. So they didn't just stop at a bachelor's degree. So you know, I took a risk and I went up to Long Island, which is like the Mecca for, for this area. So the office that I went to was about 10 minutes from Bev Francis powerhouse, which is a famous gym. And so I interviewed and I got offered the position. And so, you know, I went back to my, you know, essentially I gave my job, my GNC position that I was at a couple of days notice. I, I gave them the two weeks, but they flew me out three days later to Georgia to a conference. So over that weekend, I explained to my family, Hey, listen, I know I'm studying for my LSAT. I know I'm supposed to go to law school. But I'm gonna, I, I have to take this risk. I'm passionate about this, this sport. I'm passionate about this industry. I need to see what it is. Now, keep in mind, like everyone that knew me, knew me through GNC. So they thought it was just, it wasn't a real career. This was early on. Supplements weren't as popular. They weren't as prominent and as saturated of a market as they are now. So my family had no idea. So I had friends that, that thought I was, you know, being an idiot. I had family members that didn't want to associate with me. Essentially, I told them, listen, I'm going to take five years. And if I'm not successful in this, I will go back to law school. And from that point on, I never looked back. You know, I went to Georgia, I did my training. Uh, I became a very successful sales rep within the tri-state. I started traveling throughout the country and doing sales demonstrations, doing sales presentations on supplementation. And I went from there and eventually my company got bought out by Europa Sports which was the number one com company in the industry. So I worked with the likes of your Optimum Nutrition, your BSNs, your Gasperis, like all the, the most prominent um, sports nutrition companies of the early 2010s. And from there, I've just kept climbing up the ranks. I've went through, through different companies since then. I've, I've been doing this professionally. I, GNC, I started almost 13 years ago, but at this point I've been doing what I do now for eight years, uh, which is specific sales um, positions. I've went up the ranks from being a, a state sales rep to a regional sales rep to a, a coast sales rep. So East coast to an assistant uh, national sales director to a national sales director, which is what I do now. And it's something that has been an immensely positive thing in my life. But I will tell you that as supplementation has become more popular, more prominent and more of a saturated industry, it's extremely competitive. So that's why I've always tried to separate myself because let's think about what, and you're from a sales background. Think about what you think about with most sales reps. They're out of shape. You know, they're, they're constantly stressed. They're eating takeout. That's no different in the supplement industry. If you really look at a lot of the reps that represent the supplement industry, it's almost like hypocrisy because they're not living the lifestyle that they promote. They're not taking the products they promote. They care about numbers. They care about, you know, amount of accounts called per day. And it's something that for me, if I'm going to do something, and this is the reason I didn't go into law, if I'm going to do something, it's going to, I'm going to do something because I'm passionate about it. And we're going to work for a long period of time, Elon. And, and that's why I'm glad you, you mentioned before that you were doing a sales job and you're happy it didn't work out because now you're doing something you're more passionate about and you're a young guy and you made the right decision. But a lot of people will, will say, well, you got to do something that's going to sustain yourself. Well, initially the supplement industry wasn't that profitable, 
but through hard work, through education, through investing. I mean, there's been years I've traveled 75,000 miles a year. I mean, I've been on a, a plane every other week. I've been on the road hundreds of thousands of miles in a car. Like, you know, a lot of that time, most people wouldn't invest. I've lost relationships. I've missed family events. I missed the passing of my father because I was on a business trip. Like I've made a lot of sacrifices, but I've cemented a really good career, which is why a lot of times, you know, I'll have friends ask me like, dude, you do this coaching thing. You're, you're successful at it. Why don't you leave? And I've put so much into both of these careers. And I always told myself, I will not leave either one of them until I get to the point that I'm no longer helping people. And the thing is within supplements, I help accounts all across the country. I help build them their businesses. I was investing into a sports nutrition um, you know, chain at one time and I help them grow. So I know what it's like to have a sales rep or a sales director that truly cares about you. And that's what I really try to get across to my, my customers in, in from an OVA farm is that I'm there for them. I understand what they've been through, especially through COVID-19. I had you know about 20 or 30% of my accounts closed. And, and I fell for them and I really took it to heart because those are people that I've created relationships with. And on the same side, I love coaching just as much. So it's like, I'm able to pursue my passion every single day and my schedule is crazy. So like, it, it's, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but I have to be so detail oriented in how I allocate my time because if not, I wouldn't be able to do both things successfully. But right now that sacrifice of time is worth it. I, you know, I'm very fortunate. I have very supportive people in my life. My mom knows she's going to see me once a week on a certain day. My girlfriend knows we'll have a date night every Saturday. But other than that, I'm not available. Like they're very understanding. You see your girlfriend they, once a week? No, I see her more than that. We, we <laughs> only have like date nights where the phone is off. I don't oh, answer okay, emails. Okay. I have one night per week. I do that. And I've made these sacrifices because I'm truly passionate about the sports nutrition industry and coaching. But with that come sacrifices. And that's the same thing as bodybuilding. These are, I'm always telling people, you should take the, the lessons that you've learned in the gym and apply it to other aspects of life, especially business. And I've just tried to be a walking representation of that. What I see with you, man, and you know, if I, I mean, it's not, it's not negative. So I, I feel free to, to, to comment on, on who you are as a person. Um, it seems that you, you hold yourself to a very, very high standard. And uh, I think that you mentioned your family and how they all had PhDs and stuff like that. And, and they pushed you so much. And it, it, it's crazy to me to think that, you know, you had to go explain to them how you got this job out of college. Seems, seems like a good job to me, good opportunity. And you had to explain to them it, it as if it was some kind of like insult to your, you know, like potential lawyerdom. It's just, it's just interesting to me because I come from such a different background in terms of expectations placed on me and like the situation that I was raised into, you know, my, my family moved from the Soviet union. I was raised by a single mom in a one bedroom. She was in the living room. I was in the room. So it's just like, dude, if you have a job, like you're good, you know, like, Oh, you, you got a job. That's, that's awesome. You know, you're, you're doing really good. Just keep at that job and just keep working, you know, and for me, it's been a completely different thing. Like I have to, push myself like I want certain things for myself but all these you know success or anything that I ever achieve just literally just comes out of me feeling bad and, and wanting to push myself because I want to provide something to the world provide a service to the world not not so much like feeling like there's this big standard on me like if I completely fail I'm completely comfortable with that and it won't, will not, you know, make me feel bad about myself because there's no like external factor forcing me to succeed. Um, I, and, and I like talking to guys like you because I think that it is important to hold yourself to such a high standard. And I can see that in, in what you're doing. That's why I was shocked. Like 
national sales manager and online coaching and Instagram built up to a point, obviously on point with the social media knows what he's doing. It's like, when do you have time for all this stuff? And, 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 you know, digging deep into your life, it sounds like you don't have time. I mean, you make time for all this stuff because it's very important to you. And you, you, every second is like managed so closely. I want to get to that point. You know, I'm, I'm very impressed because I know how much work goes into sales and, you know, I worked at a big software company. I was one of the top sales reps. I wasn't even going to the gym. Like the gym, it's had, difficult, man. it had to go. It just, it was not, I could, I could force myself through a workout like at that time, but my workouts just weren't there after working for nine hours and commuting for two hours into the city and back. It's like, I would go to the gym and I wasn't, I wasn't taking anything. I was natural at the time. I got my testosterone level checked and it was in the three hundreds because stress, stress will do that to you. Yeah. And like, it's like, and then I realized like, you know, all this time that I've been trying to work out and, and, and maintain my physique and build a good physique was wasted because my testosterone is 300 and I'm 25 years old because I had done a cycle in the past, maybe not PCT properly now done this job and like, and I'm stressed out and like not, you know, functioning properly. And it, it really, while I was at that job, I decided I had to get my shit together. I had to get more organized. I got on TRT. I started to, you know, like take my fitness more seriously. And then that kind of, then when I lost the job, I felt like I had a natural transition to doing this because I learned so much from working at, at, at the sales company and stuff like that. But that's really interesting, man. I'm, I'm so curious to see where this goes for you because I don't think that, you know, continuing to climb higher in that and grow as a coach and be a fitness model, all this stuff, something's got to, at some point, give. I think you're going to have to make a decision about where you want to. But it seems like you're a young guy. How old are you? Uh, 29. Or 28 turning 29. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm I always tell myself, I always tell myself when I get in my thirties, I have to, not that I don't have my priorities straight. I just do a lot. And I know that at one point, like I've spoken with my girlfriend about this, when we want to have a family, I need to back off because I, I actually track my hours of working every week. And, and most weeks I average over 70 and that's a lot, you know, that doesn't leave for any other you know free time. So like you're saying about not being able to get into the gym, you know, a lot of people come to me. I work with a lot of business professionals. I just want to share this insight to people because a lot of people will always ask me, well, how do you have time? Or like, you know, it's not that you don't have time. You haven't made it a priority. And this isn't anything against you, but I'll tell you from my perspective. No, I, I agree with you. That, that is I've, tra what I've traveled immensely over the years and I've been at the point where I've spent, you know, multiple, I've been in multiple different time zones a week and I've prepped during those type of periods. I brought all my food frozen on the, on the plane. So I never made an excuse that I didn't have time or I didn't have the setup or I didn't have a kitchen. And I take that same thing now that we've been in COVID and I haven't been traveling. I take that same ideology to everything in life. So I'll tell you a little bit of how I plan my day. I'm up every morning between 3.30 and 4 a.m. And I do that so I can get it to the gym by like 5, 5.30. And the reason I go to the gym so early, I'm not, I'll be honest with you. I'll be frank with you guys. No one's motivated to train that early. I don't care who, who you ask. Maybe Michael Hearn. That's about the only person. But the reason I get in there is it's the only period of my day where it's me time and I don't have emails and I don't have calls or, or, or any type of contact. And so I make sure that I, that's my highest priority principle of the morning. Once I get my workout done, I've accomplished something for me. So you have to put your, you know, a lot of people, I'm selfless with a lot of things I do with my coaching, with my sales, with my relationships. I'm selfless. I, I give to other people and I, I love doing so, but I need to be selfish first 
before I could be selfless for others. So my selfish time is my gym time. I make sure I'm out of the gym by a certain time. I eat my first meal. I go on a post-meal walk and then I start my work day. And then what I start at around 8, 30, 9 o'clock is what is called deep work. I don't know if you've read the book by Cal Newport, but essentially you block off a period of time. There is no Instagram notifications. There are no, you know, there's phone calls, but it's only for the phone that I have designated for my work. And it's just email and phone calls for just the sports nutrition business. And I block off two to three hours where I get the majority of that work done for the morning. Now, keep in mind, I work with both East, I work with the entire country. So that morning block is for my East Coasters. Then I'll take a break. I'll eat something. I might, you know, communicate with different people. I'll call, you know, I might work on some formulas. I'll do some research. I'm always trying to study. So I have a mandatory threshold for myself that I'll educate myself two hours per day. So sometimes that's, I'm listening to a podcast or a seminar during my workout. Sometimes that's during that hour break when I'm eating lunch. Sometimes throughout the day, I'm making sure that I'm giving back to myself in terms of my education. Because the more you learn, the more, not only that you can earn, but the more you can serve other people and really give back to others. So then I have an afternoon block that I work because then I have my West Coast account. So they're three hours behind. So then I, I finish that session. I take a break to eat another meal. I'll usually reset. I'll watch some YouTube videos or I'll watch a podcast or something like that. And then I do my night portion, which is all my client check-ins. So most of my clients, based on where they are in the country, have already checked in by East Coast time about 1 p.m. So, you know, if they're on the West Coast, they're already in, in my inbox by then. And then until the night, man, I work until I fall asleep. Most times I'm at my desk, I fall asleep right at my laptop. My girlfriend can tell you, you know, 100 times that she's seen me like that. But I'm doing it because the reason I could do that and I could still train, I could do all these things. I'm not going to tell you guys it's easy. Sales is draining. Like you, you just remarks, but I love what I do. And that was the difference with you. You weren't doing something you loved, but however, when you, when you continue scaling this business, Elon, and I'm sure you will, because you're a bright guy, you seem passionate about this. As you scale this business and you get to a certain threshold, you might think it's overwhelming, but you're going to see that you have greater capabilities than you ever thought possible. And the reason being is because you're doing something you love. So I always tell people, you always have an extra gear. If it's important to you, you always have time. If it's a priority to you, so we always have to just, I'm always telling people, you got to like reframe, you know, reshift your, your, your frame of reference or your mindset to make things, you know, work for you instead of working against you. Because if you are doing something, I have plenty of friends. I have friends that I was supposed to go to law school with. They hate what they do. And if they have to work more than a nine to five, they're miserable. And in my world, if I work nine, you know, eight hours a day, that would be easy, easy sailing. But you know what? We're doing different things. So their eight hours is just as draining as my 12 hours, but I'm getting more out of it. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I wouldn't say that I, I hated working at sales. I, what I really hated is having a boss, having all these like expectations being put on me, having to, I felt so much pressure. I hate competing, honestly, which is why I like made this the bodybuilding lifestyle, not the bodybuilding competitors podcast. I just don't really like the concept of competing against others. I don't like how they put us uh, they pit us against each other in this sales job. And when you pit me against somebody, I have to win. So I had to be number one, but then I didn't like it. You know what I mean? Like right now I'm, I'm enjoying my business. Everything I'm doing is out of passion. And like, oh, I'm talking to you because I want to talk to you. I work with all my clients because I love my clients. I love to see people make results. I love to talk about bodybuilding. I'm not pushing myself to do this. I just wake up and I just do this. I like to do it. There's some parts like, you know, video editing and, you know, all this other stuff that I have to push myself to do. Ideally, somebody else will do that soon and I can just pay them to do it. But um, 
I just, the, the, the thing about sales is like when you have somebody on your back being like, okay, like, where's the accounts? We need the money now. And, and, and what I realized too, is that I was, I worked for a year at this company and I was the, the top sales rep there since my fourth month there, eight months straight. And at the end of it all, yes, uh, like I made a lot of money and they took me out to dinners and stuff like that. But, but when Corona hit, they had to lay off everybody. They laid off almost everybody but me in the first round of layoffs. And then it's like, okay, Elon, we need you to do more work. So it's just like, okay, like uh, now I have to do even more work. Like, I don't want to kill. I'm not, like, I'm already low. I think you guys gave me low testosterone. You gave me free. I had cold sores on my lips because I've of stress, you know what I mean? And, and now you want me to work more. I was like, I, I'm just going to sit at home and, and put all this work into my own business and, and it'll probably, it'll probably work out. And, it's been working out so far. So I'm glad you have a positive, you know, relationship with work and that everything's going great. You're serving people and you're doing it within the context of a company. I mean, I think that that really is the ideal circumstance because you have security, you know, you have health insurance, you have all this stuff and you can do the business on the side. I think a lot of people will learn a lot from that story because there are everyone nowadays thinks, and it's the same shortcut mentality that like, you know, if you don't have your own business, you're just like a piece of shit. You work for somebody else, nine to five, or you're just like a lazy, whatever. And it's the same sort of mindset as like the keto people and the SARMs people. Everybody wants like a shortcut. And when I got into coaching, everyone's like trying to, they, they immediately start marketing to me all their high ticket stuff. Oh, high ticket coaching, charge every client $2,500 a month. And you only need three clients and you'll be making six figures right away. And it's like, like it's like you're blatantly trying to tell me to like defraud people like when i'm trying to like build an honest business here and provide like real service for people i know how much bodybuilding coaching costs it doesn't cost i mean i don't know how much you charge sounds like your service is very in depth i guess it depends on like the level of involvement but i just feel like i just feel like everyone's like such a money hungry everyone's trying to like you know get the most out of everybody and everything all the time, scam everybody. I just really wanted to create a company that is about, like, I want everybody to have all the information that they want. And the only reason that they, anybody should hire me is because they want to work with me and they think that I can help them. That's really all that I can offer in terms of information. I don't know anything that most people don't know if they really like sat down and wrote down on a piece of paper what they think works unless they're very misinformed sounds like you do know a lot of things <laughs> no i, I definitely i've definitely invested I, i've invested a lot into my education but at the same time i realized yes my coaching is a little bit more expensive and that also comes with experience you know i've been doing this for eight years and i cap my clientele to a certain level because my number one priority with coaching is my quality of work. It's very detail oriented. I'm very involved in my clients' lives and their programming. So I need to charge more for that because I have, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, last year was Corona. I, I lost a good amount of money from, you know, losing accounts and stuff, but my, I did, I just did my uh, yearly analytics and I spent 20, over $29,000 just on continuing education last year. This year alone, I've already invested $12,000 into a course. So I'm always giving back. There were years, and I said this on a podcast recently, there were years in my initial years of coaching where this always has been a side business for me. Uh, at one time, I did build it up to about 50, 60 clients, and it was my main thing. But then I got back into the supplement industry just out of passion about it. I could have kept coaching, but I said, you know what? I wanted coach to a certain you know capacity. This was about 2015, 2016. It wasn't as popular, and that was one thing. So I didn't see at that time 
five, six years ago, I didn't see the longevity in it. So I said, let me keep it at a base level of clientele that I really like to work with. Let me go back in the supplement industry that has more security in it. You know, I wanted to cement myself. I wanted to invest into certain things and really secure my future. But I'll tell you, my first couple of years of coaching, I invest, I reinvested all the money that I made in coaching. It was seen as like this expense account that I could go to a seminar, that I could go to the Arnold Classic and network with people, that I could go to a client show, that I could invest into. If I didn't know, you know, if anyone asked me anything, I always tell them, if I don't know, I'll be honest with you, but I'll find out, you know, so I would invest into mentorships. I would invest into uh, consultation calls. So now I'm at the point where I've invested so much that I do charge a higher rate. But I also, if you ever look at my content, I put out educational posts every single day. I dive into details, whether it be pharmacology, uh, I dive really into physiology. I dive into a lot of psychology, a lot on fat loss, and I break it down. I'll do client testimonials where, or client uh, results where I'll, I'll break down exactly what I did with that person. And I'm not talking from a macros perspective because telling you what I eat or what one of, my, one of my clients eats doesn't help you because you are not them. But if I tell you the methods and how we reverse them out of the diet and what changes I made on a, day, on a weekly basis and how I titrated this up or what health metrics I track and what metrics I suggest you track for a general overall understanding of your health, those are things you can implement in your practice. And I have people tag me all the time and they send me messages and they say, dude, I checked, you know, I've been checking my blood pressure. You know, I never realized it was elevated, but I've, I've gotten onto this, this and that because of you, or, you know, I improved my training approach. Um, you know, and now I'm, I'm tracking things in a log book because I saw you post about it. So I can't work and I can't help everyone, but I do my best for those that can't afford it. If they ask me a question, they're like, listen, what would this cost for a consultation call? If they don't really have the money to jump on the phone with me or jump on zoom, I send them a post or I'll make a post. There's a lot of times people ask me stuff and I say, you know, I've never written about this, but I'll, I'll do a deep dive into the topic and I'll, I'll look into it. And sometimes it's not something that, that benefits me directly because it's not information I'm generally interested in, but I know it's going to help other people. So it's, you know, we all scale differently, but as you grow and as you develop your skills, you develop your knowledge and you invest more into yourself and your business, you're going to say, all right, well, you know, I love helping people, but I'm going to scale up my prices because I now serve more and I deliver more. And with that, you deserve more, but I do agree that there are so many coaches and you said it very, very bluntly, but I, I agree with it, that they're greedy. They're greedy for money. You know, it's not really about the clientele. It's about how much money they can make. And I don't agree with that whatsoever. And that's why I've always pursued coaching as I have done it. It doesn't need to be my primary income. And I can make sure that the, the clients I do take on, I a have enough time for and B can give them my all because the last thing I want to do, I've worked with a lot of coaches over the years in the last 10 years, I've had coaches that they don't answer for a week at a time. They take your money. They don't get back to you. They send you a cookie cutter diet, you know, and, and those are things that I've, I've wanted to undo in the fitness industry. And I've wanted to be able to educate my clients more that when they leave me, they've gained something from the process. They didn't just get results that they don't even know how we got there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that somebody with a lot of experience and a lot of clients and limited time should obviously be charging in a way that makes sense for their time. Right now, I'm, you know, I'm just starting up with the business. I have capacity. I'm not going to lie and say, oh, two spots left. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I have a ton of spots left. So anybody that wants to sign up, I want to get them on, help them as much as possible, give them a lot more value than they are paying me because I'm trying to build up my reputation. And I want to invest in the people out there and invest in having good podcasts, good you know, stuff for being very blunt with them, telling them the truth and stuff like that. I just hate 
I just hate that so many people are marketing to me a new coach like that I should charge what you charge or what you know somebody with 10 years of experience charges because I want to have authority and I want to be high ticket. It's like you have to earn that in this industry. People are going to see, you know what I mean, your character and who you are at, at the end of the day. So I'm just trying to build like a very honest, transparent brand, not try to seem like somebody I'm not, and then have smart people on the podcast like you that will fill in any of the gaps that I don't understand. Like I'm not an expert in all this in like the biochemistry. Yeah, I'm learning, but I just started to become exposed to all this stuff like two or three months ago since I lost my job and have all this time to do the research before I didn't even have time to, you know, find guys like you and listen to your stuff, find guys like Victor, find guys like Broderick Chavez, you know, dive into their content and really understand all these different things outside of just macros and how many sets and reps to do. I just, it wasn't even uh, in my field of view. So I want to bring that information to people where it would never have been in their field of view because they don't have the time to dive so deep. You know what I mean? That that's kind of my goal. I just, I want to bring this advanced information to somebody who is not advanced and, and help at scale, you know, people who just want to have a, a better physique. So Brandon, I appreciate you coming on so much. I've taken two hours of your time. It's been a real pleasure, man. I, I would love to have you on again. If you have any closing statements, uh, open floor to you. Absolutely. No, Elon, I, I really appreciate you having me on. This was a great, a great conversation. I actually, I blocked out my gym time. So I didn't go to the gym this morning and I started work early so we could do this. So I'm just let me know. Oh, in advance man. And we can, we can do this again, man. Okay. No, no, no this, it was phenomenal, man. It was a great conversation. Uh, guys, if you have any questions for me, please feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm best reached at my Instagram, which is at Brandon DeCruz underscore or at B fitness at gmail.com. I try to get back to everyone. I'm, I'm fairly responsive. Um, and if you guys ever have questions or any other, you have, you want to dive deep on some of these topics that Elon and I spoke about, or if you want to ask any additional questions that him and I can do a follow-up episode, please let me know, because I'm always willing, like I said, it's not just about me getting more clients. A lot of times I just want to put out this information because man, I spent so many years misguided. And then also on the, on the flip side, spending so much time and energy and money into my education. I just want to help people with this information at the end of the day. We should be trying to better this industry. And I try to do that by exposing some of the myths and trying to bring to light some of the better knowledge and education that I can. Thanks so much, Brandon. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is episode 15. Thanks for watching, guys.